All right, ladies and gentlemen, take your seats. We are back at it again, coming at you from the studio. This is actually, I'm not Professor CK today. I'm going to be taking a seat with the students for a uh, uh, Professor AG taught session and lesson here today. He is the, you're the cane to my X Pac. Yeah. You're the taker. You're the taker to my Paul Bearer. (laughs) You are the macho man to my Miss Liz. Man, I take I'm, me on a journey. I was ten years old again doing this. Like this shit, it just it makes me so happy. Um, yeah, just just to dive into it. Um, we're going Adam Childhood. Um, I'm doing Andre the Giant, an entertainment legend. Yeah, it, bigger than really. I would say he's the biggest wrestler ever. That's just all personal. Opinion. Am I confusing this? What? Was he the ninth wonder of the world? Did they call him nope. that at some point? It was the eighth wonder of the world. And he okay. truly was. China was the ninth wonder. That's of the I world. confused the two. Yep. Damn and it. that's why she was the ninth, because Andre's the eighth. And truly in a sphere of life, Andre was the eighth wonder of the world. And just his outreach, um it's crazy. I mean, he to say that a guy kind of helped build what pay-per-views became mm-hmm. in America as far as need to watch things. I Andre's like- that guy. I feel like this is something everyone put away your put away your textbooks, pens and paper. This is just an enjoyable experience. We're gonna just enjoy this. Gym class wrestling today. That's right. We're getting into Andre the Giant. Yeah. So I I'm more than ready to go. Um let's strap in uh in the immortal words of fuck, what was his name? Bruce Buffer. You want me to do it? Let's get ready to roll. Okay, God, I was hoping you weren't, you know. <laughs> This is, I feel like I've been studying for this episode for like 30 years. Like this is, this is my deal. This, uh, as a kid, everybody kind of had their own quirks and I wouldn't really say that we were a wrestling family per se. I would say that, um, between me and some cousins, it was sort of like an accepted thing. Uh, Royal Rumble happened. I don't remember the exact year. I want to say it may have been... Shit, if I had to guess, probably like 94, maybe. Um, we were at my grandma's house. The whole family was there. And we all took bets on who was going to win the Royal Rumble. Wait, was this a paper? Was this when pay-per-view was a thing? Uh, this, I believe it was. So I think you got we a might pay-per-view at it. Nana's house? I, I was very young when this happened. But I do remember grandma picking big john stud not knowing who he was just liked him because he was a big guy he mm-hmm. ended up winning the royal rumble grandma was so excited that really day. yeah she she absolutely loved it so just growing up i mean i missed andre died in 1993 so i think i'd have been like four at the time mm-hmm. so i definitely like wasn't he wasn't in my life growing up as far as watching him but going back and seeing everything that he did in his I, life i think if you regardless of what time you you know 
start watching wrestling or anything like that. I went through a span. So this will explain my scope of wrestling knowledge. <laughs> my stint of watching wrestling was it started I – start, I was started as a WCW mm-hmm. fan. And it was the Monday Night Wars time frame and everything. Raw was always on later. So I was always able to catch Nitro at that 6 o'clock. It was like yeah. 6 to 9, right, or something. And then after that, Raw would be 9. And so he'd never catch Raw because I'd be getting ready for bed. Um, the idea behind it during the Monday Night Wars, this is completely not a part of it. Uh, we'll do the Monday Night Wars. I'll do one on mm. or a, a teaching lesson with the Monday Night Wars. But um, Nitro moved to three hours to get the one-hour jump on uh, Raw. Mm-hmm. So Raw would start at 7, Nitro would start at 6, and that was just our time zone. Um, but they did it so they could try to draw the audience in first. And so oh, yeah. usually at the end of the first hour, there would be a big match leading into the second hour that would Ooh. cross over to try to take away. Okay, but Raw don't would- talk about this anymore because this sounds so <laughs> fucking like strategic and everything. I want you to do the whole yeah. episode. So anyway, I got in during WCW. It was at the time when Sting was big, uh, DDP, you had the Steiners, and it was right... I mean, maybe six months before NWO. So you were like 96, 97-ish probably yep, right Yeah, that was there. probably around 11 or 12 years old. So NWO. And then after the like NWO Wolfpack and everything like that, I actually migrated over somehow to WWF. And at that point, I somehow caught the Attitude Era. And that was when DX started yeah. coming out and everything like that. And so, but kind of getting back to it, as a, as a wrestling fan, it's only natural that when wrestlers that are still around, that were around during the era of like Andre the Giant and those guys, Hulk Hogan, for example, you saw Hulk Hogan for the longest time as Hulkamania, the red and the yellow. I had a shirt. I can't remember the year that they came to town. And I don't know if Hulk Hogan was there. It's been that long ago, but I know I got a Hulkamania shirt there. And I know they're selling that merchandise regardless if anyone's there or not. Mm-hmm. But I remember I actually had a Hulkamania shirt. And going back and being like, okay, I want to go watch Hulk Hogan stuff. And then you instantly found yourself very quickly at Andre the Giant. And at that point, you're like, fuck Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I got to know more about this guy. I just, I think we talked about this in another episode, but now it's the literal sense of just larger than life. And when I say larger than life, he I'll talk about kind of what his form of gigantism was and how it sort of leans towards wrestling in a way. Um, but Andre Rene Rusimov was born May 19th, 1946. Um, his dad is Bulgarian. His mom was Polish. They were both immigrants uh, who owned a farm in, uh, what the fuck was it called? Kulo Meners, I believe. In France. Yeah, in okay. France. Um, he was the middle child of five. He had, I think, their Did form those of- other kids just fall out? The two after him? <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think about that, but it could have been like a water slide. Jesus. I think he had two older brothers and it was two younger sisters. But it, by all accounts, they, they were just, the parents weren't really big. But um, Andre said that his dad told him that his grandfather was seven foot six, which... Don't know how true that is. I feel like we would have heard about a seven foot six Bulgarian. Yeah, eventually. I don't know. Had Andre stayed in France, would we have heard about Andre the Giant? That's true. That's very true. Actually, now that you you say that, but um, I don't know. Is giganticism genetic, or is it just a freak genetic anomaly that happens? Uh, 
Andre said that his brother was very big too. Okay. But his brother stayed on the farm. He stayed local. He wasn't into wrestling. Did but, he become a peanut farmer? <laughs> he might have. Probably a wine wine guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, God damn it. Can you imagine a wine glass? And that it, it would look oh, like it's, no. it's adorable how cute it looks. Watch it. He could put a, a regular beer can in his hand. You just wouldn't be able to it see it. It looked like the small V8 cans. Like No, you couldn't sh- see it. Oh, shit. You, you couldn't see aluminum on either side. His hand was so big. So his hand, but this is jumping ahead. This is just something goofy and dumb that we won't even talk about, but it was something that I found amazing. So he was in a wrestling organization, and in order to get tickets in, um, the guy had Andre go to a cast, like a caster. Mm-hmm. And they had him cast his hand and forearm. Andre's hand at one point was the size of a lowland male gorilla's hand. They said it was very similar in size to that. That's how fucking big it was. Jesus. So they would make the casting, and then the guy took the casting to like out to the fans, like in mm-hmm. the public, and said, if anybody's hand can fit inside of Andre's and can actually fill it up, I'll give you two front row seats. And there was actually one guy whose forearm was big enough to fit in there, but his hand wasn't even close. And so they're like, okay, you were close enough. You can come sit in. But that was the kind of shit where they would do to just drum up business and Andre in there. But going back to Andre as a baby, um, 13-pound child, which, again, a little jealous of. I was 11 pounds when I was born, so I wasn't quite on the Andre track, Mm -hmm. but just a very massive baby. Like you said, the other two just had to shoot out. I think it was like eight. (laughs) (laughs) But even as a young child, Andre showed signs of gigantism. Like he, it was very, very clear that there was something special about him. Uh, by the time he was twelve, he was six foot three, which I think I was maybe five eleven. How so, tall are you right now? Uh, six six. Okay. So I, I eventually stopped nicotine and other substances. I think may have stunted mm-hmm. my growth. Whereas Andre, he, he just had it going the whole entire time. Um. In France at the time, apparently the age of 14 was the age to finish all your, like, I think they call it commensary school. I mean, yeah, that makes sense. You're wanting to get people out of the workforce, right? Yeah, but you would think in get the them out there 40s soldiers, in man. France. We need these fucking 15-year-olds manning these cannons and rifles and shit. Yeah, I, I guess thinking about it, though, that's like an eighth grade education. Yeah. Oh, this is also in 46. This isn't, yeah. That's still weird. Yeah, in 46, a little after that, to be like 14, be like... Eighth grade. Oh, uh, you know that. Yeah. Here's your diploma. <laughs> he had four years where he just, he stuck around the, the town. Um, he worked at the family farm. His brothers reported that he could basically do like three times, like he was doing the work of three humans on the farm. Oh, yeah. So I'm sure Ma and Pa Rusimov probably weren't pumped that he was wanted to leave eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, gets his driver's license at 18. But Andre. We must hire three more people. <laughs> I'm sorry, father. It, yeah, dude, his voice, listening to just him and then everybody imitate it, like it's all, he sounds like an imitation of himself yeah. when he does it. But as soon as he turned 18, he knew that the farm life wasn't for him and he headed straight into Paris. And when he got to Paris, he um, was working for, it was like a mover. Mm -hmm. and kind of started to find his way to where he met up with a wrestling promoter in France. And the guy's like, you're perfect. You're exactly what we want in here at this time. You're 18. But I can't wrestle. He's like, I don't care. Yeah, Uh, I can stand you in there and throw guys at you. (laughs) So the guy agrees to train him. Uh, He starts training in wrestling. And just at this That's so crazy to even think about at that time, too. Like, when you think wrestling and, like, the development, it's strictly an American thought. 
Yeah, yeah. You assume that the birthplace of professional wrestling, which it probably, no, actually, was it Japan? No, Did the it, birthplace of wrestling was in Carnival Axe. Like okay. It was a carnival thing that just grew into oh, something that, that could stand alone. Yep, that makes sense. But the simple fact that there's a wrestling industry. Promotion in Paris. In, in Paris, yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Um, so he starts wrestling, and when he starts wrestling, he's not making a ton of money at the movers. So he will start to work the door jobs kind of at like bars and stuff. And where they wrestle is down in the red light district in France Mm. where they happen to do other things in the red light district would be prostitution. Mm -hmm. So he (laughs) turn on your red light. Yeah. He, he was basically like working in the same area as these French prostitutes and it comes into play later in kind of an interesting way, but he doesn't make a whole lot of money as a mover. He's not making a lot of money at this lowly wrestling promotion in mm-hmm. France. And so he finds himself like sometimes sleeping in the benches of train stations and stuff like that. Um, later on in life, some big fucking benches. Yeah, there definitely have to be. But later on in life, um, he's out with another wrestler. Won't bore you with the name. Probably won't know him. Um, but as they're eating in this restaurant, and this is overseas, this prostitute comes in after she's just been robbed by a John and beaten up, and she's crying and trying to get a phone so she can call the police, mm-hmm. but she really can't because she's a prostitute. Yeah. And like, there's that weird thing. Andre called her over the table, pulled out a wad of money in his pocket, and peeled off like 400 bucks and gave it to her. And when she walked away, the rest of the dude was with goes, how come you did that? And he goes, when I was 18 years old and I was trying to make my way through the red light district mm-hmm. in Paris, these prostitutes watched out for me. Like yeah. they, they kept me alive here to where I could be where I am today. So it's like, I just, I owe them. I feel like I owe them because of the goodness that they showed me. That's like a weird, like orphans on what movie is that? Where like the baby is dropped at the whorehouse and they all raise him. Oh, it's that new King Arthur movie. I don't know if I've heard yeah. about that. Yeah. But he just had that kind of a love for people and people that he really saw in his life is that took care of him. Andre, we'll talk about it with just kind of the clicks that he made in wrestling. He was like the biggest hot or cold guy ever. Like he, he had an opinion on everybody. Kind of looking, I know I do this, like looking at like from like a personality standpoint, if you're like that big, people I think probably feel like and maybe if you're not as cognitively there, or he didn't sound like he was. I know he was cognitively there, but he didn't oh, yeah. sound like it. So I think people could mistake that and try to think that they could take advantage of him. And I could definitely see a scenario in which, you know, people, a group of ladies, uh, a group of ladies of the night would basically say like, hey, like, let's look out for this kid, basically still at this mm-hmm. time. He might be able to look, and he could probably look out for us too a little bit, but doing something that, he would see those acts of genuine kindness and be like, maybe I don't, maybe I haven't, you know, he hasn't experienced that his whole life with people trying to take advantage of his size and get him to do things that maybe he wouldn't want to do. Well, and I think part of it too is the empathy that a, I'm going to use words that don't describe them well, but I'll try to start with sex worker. Like as a sex worker, when you're seen outside on the street, you're looked at a certain way and you're gawked at and people are staring at you and all that stuff. What's the, obvious thing that you would stare at Andre for because he's exactly. a giant man walking down the street. So I having think there's a shared, having a shared struggle. Yeah. And, yeah. I, there's a lot of that. And so I'm sure that's a really good comparison. <laughs> he was almost like, for lack of a better term, like casually saying it, like 
in a, his own way, he was kind of a whore. Yeah, he was an ocular prostitute. Yes, yeah. That's a very good way to put that. <laughs> He's an eyesight whore. <laughs> <laughs> and just as you were talking about, like, the way that he talked and him moving sort of slower and sort of lumbering and all that stuff, that was later Andre. Andre, all told, all the matches that I watched of him back in the 70s, because mm-hmm. that was kind of when he finally got onto the scene where people would record his matches, he was the kind of athlete that just made you so wondrous. Like a dancer. Like, thinking about Andre the Giant, mm-hmm. could you ever imagine him doing I can't a- not think about him, your shirt. I'm staring <laughs> at this shirt. And the rubber Andre wrestling figure. is a full body shot, and then also a close-up of his face, and it's haunting and just captivating at the same time. Andre could hit a drop kick. Really? On guys. Yeah, he was a very quick, agile guy in the 70s, and this is before he really kind of grew into what he grew into. And we'll talk about that in a second. But, um, while he was in Paris, he toured the UK, he toured Germany, uh, Australia, Africa, New Zealand, excuse me. So he was on tour just out of France as this big oddity. Yeah. And after he got through with all that, um, he heads off to Japan and wait, what was his name in France? Uh, his name in France was Jean Ferry. Which is, I guess, there's a folk hero that's named uh, Grand Ferry in French culture. Hmm. Like a Paul Bunyan? Uh, I think something sort of like that. Like he was kind of a A larger than life, large, humanist. Yeah. When when I tried to look into him, it was a lot of stuff in French and I didn't really understand it. I lost interest immediately. Yeah, he was a French folk hero. So he was Jean Ferry there. Um, He ends up going to... Yeah, so he debuted in Japan at the age of 20. So this is two years that he did all that touring. He shows up in Japan in tw- er, at the age of 20. Um, he was billed as Monster Rusimov, obviously pretty easy that you would want to go with that. And um, Japan was the first place that he got diagnosed with his form of gigantism, which was called, or it's called Acromegaly, I think. Okay. Acromegaly, something mm-hmm. like that. And basically what it is, is um, your pituitary gland produces too much growth hormone okay. into adulthood. So like, so when it's supposed to close the tap, yeah. it's just like, nah. It just keeps it, it's out. Someone's out, the guy man in the tap is out to lunch. Yeah, okay. and I, I don't know if it's, there's a surgery that you can get, and that's where I was talking about, like going into wrestling. There's so many examples of this. Paul White, uh, Big Show, mm-hmm. he... Acromegaly as well. He had the surgery, I think it was in his early 20s. So his body would stop producing so much growth hormone. Mm-hmm. So he basically stayed the size, the size yeah. that he was. But when you look at show, his hands, you can tell. His facial structure, you can tell yeah. that he's, the, he's grown in certain slant ways. Of, there's more of a slant of the forehead yep. and everything. Yeah. Um, Pronounced brow ridge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dilip Singh, um, Great Kali. Did you ever know him? I've heard the name. Yeah, Indian wrestler, um, just another larger-than-life guy. He had the same procedure, but he's um, the big guy in Longest Yard. Yes, yes. the one that also plays in MacGruber. Yeah, so yes. you, you see his facial structure, you see... The jaw is very like Pronounced, yes. Yeah. Um, a, a guy who uh, you may not have heard about, um, his name is Maurice Tillet. He was the French angel. Uh, I'm, I'm he's, not familiar with the French Angel. He is the inspiration for Shrek. I have seen pictures of him weirdly recently. Yeah. Yes. And 
Maurice wasn't, I think he was maybe all of like 5'10", mm-hmm. but his gigantism went to his hands and to his face, yeah. to his feet, to his extremities. Just fucking thick. Yeah. He, like, it's Shrek without yeah. the fucking green and the little things coming off of his head. So just that kind of stuff. Um, there was a guy named... It, it, for lack of, I mean, like, sideshows. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to use the word freak show, but there is yeah. like an attraction to seeing something yes. like that. I'm using the I'm using the terminology of the day. Yeah. Um but Maurice, he was a a carnival worker basically in that wrestling world mm-hmm. before he actually ventured out. Uh, a guy named Don Leo Jonathan. I thought it was hilarious. He's the Mormon giant because he was born in Hurricane, Utah, and his dad, who was actually a professional wrestler before, um Raised him Mormon there before he traveled to um, Canada. And him and Andre actually had a few matches in Canada and toured a circuit as like the two giant lumbering men in a match. Clash of the Titans type shit. Yeah, so just very cool how it all worked out. Um, So he found that he had acromeglia in Japan and at the time, I'm not really sure where the surgery was. I mean, the fact that they knew about what it was, uh-huh. I think there was probably a chance. But Andre never had the surgery in his life. He never got it fixed. He So he just continued to grow throughout his entire life. And his life, I mean, it wasn't long. He was uh, 46 to 93. So what's that? 47? Sure. And I'll do the actual math. It just, it's one of those things where his body even though he wasn't necessarily getting so much taller his hands were growing his feet were growing good good math yeah did you actually see that somewhere or did you just pull that number out the, when you're his age is on the other board okay. and i couldn't see it i searched <laughs> okay. i searched the first board for it and i was like fuck i gotta do math this is bad it's like that was fast math but it, he grew till the end of his life and shockingly enough uh i don't really think the gigantism played into his death which hey uh, he it would have eventually probably contributed to it yeah but it also I, contributed to probably what caused his death could have um but, but i've heard different rationales for why he never got it fixed uh one of them that i heard was that he felt that that was the way that god made him so he mm. wanted to do what that this god has made been his gift to up to this point yeah. if he were to try to do something about it it could either go away or it would be like well, spitting in the face or a dishonor to uh, the gift that he was yeah. Given or something. I, and that was the other thing was he had maybe talked about sometimes how he was concerned that once he got the surgery, the allure of Andre the Giant would go away mm. because he wouldn't be as large yeah. because he would stop growing so yeah, much. Yeah, the and ride could end. If there was, if you shut that off, he started to him, get there was skinny. too much risk. Yeah, he, it was, he didn't it was know a risk what, of his meal ticket. Yeah, there wasn't a certainty. Yeah, he was going to get bigger, but to what degree in the future versus... Mm-hmm. This could completely change everything I'm working toward. Ah, I just uh, that's gonna be such a fucking difficult decision if that option was there for the surgery. I I want to. I'm trying to picture him because I've I've heard stories of Andre like when they would go over to Japan and everything. I'm just trying to like how how did anybody not notice him? How did he fit in anything? I we'll get into that. Okay, there's a lot on that. Okay. Um, so just to kind of start working a little bit quicker, cause it's, uh, there's a lot of wrestling stuff in here and I had a hard time, buddy, um, take your time. Yeah. Just, 
I, I want to keep this interesting for everybody because I know that wrestling's not like everybody's. It's an it's a worldwide institution. Yeah, and we're, it's we're culturing people here. <laughs> it's more about the. It's a worldwide institution that lends itself more to like mullets and cut off jean this, shorts. This just goes to show we're we're students of all types of history. That's true. Yeah, and Andre's he's a big part of history. He's he just everything that he did inside and outside the ring is so interesting. Um, next spot of. Gotta quit saying obviously. Um, pretty easy to transition probably from France to Montreal. Oh yeah, you could see that being a pretty smooth transition with the French speaking and kind of the same culture. Yeah, definitely that kind of a deal. So he heads over to Montreal in 1971. Um, he worked for a family named the Vachons. They are wrestling royalty in Canada and even down in America. Are they kind of like the McMahons of Canada? Uh, sort of. They had different promotions up there. Um, he worked for another guy named Vern Gagne, or Vern Gagne that owned uh, the AWA. That'll come into play a little bit later. But he was just touring Canada, and that was where he had this series of matches with uh, the Mormon giant. And they started to realize right around this time that Andre's draw wasn't being in one place. Andre's draw was to show up in a place, wrestle for two nights, drive 400 miles down the road, wrestle for two nights, and go on tour because there was only so much they could do with him. So instead of staying with one promotion and one, like... A territory, A basically. territory wrestling outfit. Basically, he was almost like, a, not freelance, but kind of like a wrestling mercenary where so he would was, be yeah. going into another territory and then he would be going into another territory. So there was probably, like, an understanding like of sharing Andre. Well, and I think the Vachons in Canada for the most part sort of ran all the areas and all the shows that he was at. Okay. Uh, but like I say, they only could have him in town for a certain amount of time. And then he wouldn't come back for the next year. Cause if you go to a wrestling match and you see the giant, the biggest man that you'll ever mm-hmm. see do incredible feats, he's wrestling in handicap matches, all this stuff. Then you don't get to see him for another year. The next time he comes into town, it's going to be you and four or guys. If you didn't go. Yeah. And all you heard about for the next year, uh-huh. all your buddies were talking about was the fucking six on one match that they just witnessed. And this dude tossing dudes out mm-hmm. over the top rope. I, and part of the allure was making sure that uh, there's going to be words. Chris will step in, but, uh, to get definitions and I can't really separate the wrestling definitions. Like I'd like to talk about this like a normal human, but it's like someone who talks uh, like Spanglish. Yeah, they'll just pepper in like Spanish words and everything without even realizing they're doing it. I'll just stop you and be like, "This is what this is." Well, and there's just different words for things where it's like there's feelings and emotions in the English language that there aren't really words for. Mm-hmm. Wrestling's figured out how to sum up things pretty quick in words. It's tough to explain. Gotcha. Okay, so the reason that Andre really never stayed in a territory and won a title was because eventually he would have to put somebody else over to leave. And putting somebody else over is basically to let them beat you or to let them come so close that it actually makes them even look strong in defeat. Mm-hmm. And in order for Andre to give up a belt, he would have to put somebody over and then it would lose its luster. Yeah. And then as these areas would see him lose, the next time he came around, it wouldn't they be would such a They would know that deal. would be the end result. Yeah. Andre's going to be here for a few nights, but he's going to lose and move on to the next place. Exactly. It's always kind of like putting a, a time clock on what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And so he never really held titles, but after he, they kind of felt like he had sort of worn out Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, Vashon 
I think it was Mad Dog may have been the one that came down and spoke to Vince Sr., but Vince McMahon Sr. is running the WWF in... WWF. WWWF. Okay. Worldwide Federation, or Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Okay, so Worldwide wasn't one word. He didn't know the Worldwide was one word. Well, this uh, it was Vince McMahon. Okay. The more grand that your acronym looks... With... Yeah, and it's not just worlds, worldwide. That's right. So it sounds different. Um, he was running his territory out of New York, and the way that American sort of wrestling worked back in that day was you would have certain territories. So you would have this is fascinating to me. Yeah. So when we end up doing like we'll do I, wrestling, territories I think what we should sure. do is when we do the Monday Night Wars, just do it all, so you can lead up and explain how it happened. This to me is like the English soccer system <laughs> where you have like lower tier leagues and everything. And you're trying to work your way up to the, the premier league yeah. and trying to get in with these outfits and you're doing trading between territories and everything. And sometimes the territories will trade, trade wrestlers to fight each other and all this kind of shit. And how many territories there were like people don't understand that. Like there were territories in every state. Yeah. There were there territories like, uh, all the territory. way up to California. It just, it, there was a Hawaiian territory. Yeah, it it was more they got they sourced from Japan when they would bring other people in. I think because it was just closer. Yeah, but yeah, like you say, there's just it was literally like everything was a tour stop. There were different federations everywhere: um, AWA, NWA, just a few kind of different regions. And the NWA sort of was run by this guy named Jim Crockett. And Jim Crockett, what what territory was that? Is Northwest. Um, National Wrestling Alliance. Okay. So it was down kind of in Georgia. Okay. And it would morph into Turner buying Jim Crockett promotions from him. WCW. Which came, yeah, which okay. became WCW. So WCW, Jim Crockett promotions is kind of the beginning of it. And he was a fairly big territory himself. Like they were kind of on par with the McMahons. But Vance Sr. saw what they did in Canada and was like, well, I, I love you. I think that you're great. You're going to wrestle in the WWWF, uh, but I'm going to basically be your agent. I'm going to sign you up in all these other territories that you're going to travel to and do business in all these different territories, and you'll kick me back a little, but you're going to be seen all around the country in all these different spots doing everything from Royal Rumbles to, like I say, handicap matches. Because he was probably having to figure it out himself. Like, if he left a territory... They were probably like, okay, we'll come back when you, you want to or when we have you scheduled. But then he was left to kind of maybe figure out and schedule his own shit. And they said that he was an excellent, excellent memory as far as what he would do. Like he would go down to Houston. He would work that territory. He would go out to dinner with the promoter that night and say, hey, um, we need you back here in six months. He would pull out his little calendar book. Mm-hmm. The guy would pull out his calendar so book. So was it a full-size notebook, but in his giant I, It would have just, to be massive. Yeah, like it was it a would, steno book, but it just looked like a little tiny flip. Yeah. Flip, yeah. And he'd say, okay, what dates? And the guy would read off his dates, and Andre would go, okay, I'll be back in six months. They said that they could not talk to him for another six months, and on that night, he would show up, and he would be there to wrestle. Like, just, he was that good. And so he traveled around and did all these different territories, but... Just to say how much Vince respected him, um, he debuted two days after his debut for the WWWF, his first match he has at Madison Square Garden. 
So he wrestled one match, and two days later, he was in the epicenter of like sports entertainment. Yeah, and he he wrestled in Madison Square Garden on the regular. But just the fact that Vince knew what kind of an attraction that he had—I'll keep saying Vince Senior. You'll figure it out here in a little while. But Vince Senior knew the attraction that he had, and he put him on the grandest stage just to start out. He wrestled a couple no-name guys. It's yeah, some, don't start him out slow, like a big unveil. Well, it's something called a squash match, and a squash match is basically where they send guys that are of a lower tier out there, and mm-hmm. he just wrecks them and ruins them. It's almost like a display of power, basically. Gotcha, okay. Like and, a, mini, a mini Royal Rumble, except uh, one guy against a team of guys. No, it can be one guy against one guy. It can be one guy against two oh, guys. Okay. It's just usually local. Nowadays, it's local talent that oh, okay. isn't established that come in. They can do whatever they want with their character. Going sorry, going back to seventy one. So this was like seventy three. Oh, what is that? Yeah, um, a wrestler out of Canada named General Adnan uh, grew up and was born and best friends with Saddam Hussein. So in nineteen seventy one, before he makes his jump, I can't believe it, I almost forgot this. This is fucking. This is nuts. This is Ric Flair wrestling Antonio Inoki in North Korea. Like this is fucking crazy stuff. So General Adnan tells. Um, Saddam, who at this time, this is where you have to put this all into perspective. At this time, Saddam Hussein wasn't a murderous dictator that was off his rocker. Like, he was running Iraq in a way where it wasn't the craziest thing he did. I think he was always probably a little murderous. Uh, No, he was. Because, so, they bring him over. Saddam, not knowing anything about how wrestling works... They had everything set out. There was a Mercedes that had been like stretched out so he could fit into it. He was getting the royal treatment over in Iraq. And General Adnan knew how the wrestling business works. So he was like, Andre's got to beat me. And Saddam goes to General Adnan's like, you're doing this for Iraq. This is for your country. You will win this match. And Andre will be slain. The giant will be slain by an Iraqi man. You say that he's never lost before? Well, if he's never lost before, you're going to be the one to beat him, and it's going to bring all this praise into Iraq. And Adnan's like, uh, uh uh-oh. That's not going to work. Andre's probably not going to go for that. Saddam goes, if you have any problems with him, lifts up his jacket, golden revolver. He goes, if you have any problems with him, I will put every one of these bullets in his head. And he will not leave Iraq. So Adnan's like, all right, got to go talk to Andre. Probably goes and explains to Andre in a very nice way, like, hey, nobody's going to find out about this. First of all, sorry I brought you here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would like to start my eight-part apology (laughs) by starting out on the fact that I talked you into this. So, yeah, match goes on in front of Saddam. Uh, Very big deal to happen in Iraq. I guess, I don't know if it was Iraq back then, but it was kind of some idea. The land area was Iraq Mm -hmm. now. Uh, Adnan wins. Everything goes off. Andre gets out of Iraq safe. General Adnan goes back to Canada, keeps wrestling. Had a decent career, but just... Like this one weird picturesque moment where if anybody didn't have a lot of interactions with Andre after that, uh, yeah, probably not. But you got to think like if anybody ever walked up and told you, "Hey, man, Saddam Hussein and Andre the Giant is shook there a hands." Video of this? I don't think there is. And okay. I think that's part of the reason okay, why hold there's on. none. You, there's not video that people have seen, but I guarantee you that there was a videotape in Saddam's palace. Yeah, there absolutely could have been, and I guarantee you he would watch that. <laughs> Repeatedly. I just saw Iraq beat up France. 
just the overcoming the law. He's like, Andre is the symbol of American power. <laughs> hey, he was a Frenchman. Him. He hadn't even been to America yet, really. He, oh, that's true, because that was back in 71. I, he did do a couple sort of independent things with Japan as they would come over. Um, probably tensions were still a little high, so I don't know how much he did with Japan and America. Yeah, But, uh, yeah, just uh, the weirdest thing that you could think of. Um, so... After that happens, like I say, he debuts in WWF. Uh, they need another character change. Vince goes, Monster Rusimov is great. It's a great name. Why don't we just make it easy? Why aren't you just Andre the Giant? The Giant is more than a monster. You're He's, the only giant. Yeah, you you are you the get, There's giant. not going to be Jeff the Giant coming uh, up next and then Steve the Giant after you. You're Andre the Giant. You're not Giant something. You're just the Giant. Mm-hmm. So that's where Andre the Giant's born, was Vince Sr. Um like I say, he, he hoard him out to everybody that he could get him out to. He would travel to these territories. He'd do a, a show or two. He'd be a, he'd do a Royal Rumble. Um, he would end up winning. One of the things did, that did ended a lot up, of people put him in like gimmick matches. Oh yeah, I would imagine he would be fighting three or four other guys, and and he'd just end up throwing them around. And this still is back when he is a very athletic. This is agile, Andre. Very quick, yeah. And that was one thing that we'll sort of talk about here in a little bit. But one thing that was going on in some of these territories was there was always a little bit of confusion about the decision of the match. So I I don't know how many people understand it. Maybe there's some people that still think that it's real. But wrestling's all predetermined. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to say as a wrestling fan my whole entire life, it's not a sport. It's scripted. It's performance art. It's scripted entertainment. Yeah, it's performance art. I'm not saying they're not athletes because these guys are some of the best athletes in the world, but it's not like everything's predetermined. I I think when you understand that there's a script to this and it's determined instead of being like, well, that makes it fake. No, then what, what do you think allows you to have the storylines that you have? Like you understand that they have storylines. Things have to be set in motion and predetermined. You can't just like base an entire like month or two month long storyline and be like, well, we hope all these guys win. Because if not, our storyline mm-hmm. is fucked. But you can still appreciate it and be like, this is an ongoing sports drama, is what it is. And that sounds like weird to say. Like I'm I don't watch wrestling really anymore. I'll watch some like highlights if they pop up on reels yeah. or something like that. But at the same time, you have to really appreciate the fact that this is still going on. And well, it's still I- I- immensely popular. And at the levels that it is, because uh, just a little look behind the curtain of how an actual match works, there's two different ways a match works. There's one of them that a match follows a script. This is usually for like a pay-per-view or something where they have time to practice the match, mm-hmm. practice the sequence of moves and everything like that. The second way to do it is called on the fly. On the fly, two guys that have wrestled each other quite a bit will get in the ring. Um, there's something called the heel, which is the hero. There's something called the face, which is the villain. Wait, other way. Uh, yeah, face is the hero, uh, heel is the villain. Think of the heel as like the heel of bread. Nobody likes him. Yeah, heel of a foot, always sort of painful in its own ways. But uh, maybe just when you get older. Yeah. <laughs> but the heel will always call the match. So you'll lock up in the lockup. The heel will say backdrop, take a backdrop. They'll have a shorthand for all of the yeah, signals and cues, all the different all moves this. that they're doing. So you have to be in concert. It's an with impromptu the guy. dance. It would yeah. be like trying to not do an established dance like the tango or the samba, where there's certain moves to it. Imagine you and your partner come together and you're constantly speaking to each other throughout the dance of spins, foot movements, and everything. 
that's what it is. And to make it flow seamlessly, to make it look like it's natural, like that's that's talent. Well, and just the fact that you have the other person's life in your hands at so many different points. Yeah. To where if you if you're off your mark on a guy jumping off the top rope and he doesn't catch enough of you to break his fall coming down mm-hmm. and he just slams against the mat, if he doesn't land right, he's breaking his knee. Yeah. Like it's, it's just that fast that mm-hmm. something can go in an instant. Yeah. And you do see a lot of that. The more risks that they take now, it is, it, there's a lot more serious repercussions, but just certain things like that, that would happen. Um, Andre was always a face. The only two places that Andre was ever considered a heel besides this, the Hogan run, mm-hmm. was um, he was always a heel in Japan and he was always a heel in Mexico. And it's sort of like when you look at it, a heel is sort of what people want to be because you can sort of flesh out your own bad, character. It's the bad boy. Yeah, you get so much more creative freedom with what you do and mm-hmm. what you say, whereas if you're a face, you always have to be like the shining, the, you can do the something light on good the hill. But have sinister intention behind it. You don't have to always be the paragon uh-huh. and like be altruistic. You can do something, and if you do something nice, people are like, what's the motive behind that? But like when The Rock was a heel, it was perfect. It was great. Because he was so fucking charismatic. And everything that you were just like, this guy, I know this guy's an asshole. I know this uh-huh. is the bad guy. But the guy going against him has to be such a good guy that it it overshadows that. Like, because you want to root for him. Well, and so much of it is, if you're a face, every time that you win, you have to win what's called clean. Which means without any outside interference, mm-hmm. without a low blow, anything that would make you look bad. Yeah. Whereas a heel can have somebody run in, get him disqualified, still loses, but kind of wins because he gets, gets the jump on the, the other chair, guy. Gets him hit. The ref yeah. gets knocked out. He gets Slips hit with him a roll of quarters, yeah. gives him one in the face. He gets to win. That's a dirty victory. Mm-hmm. But as a heel, you can get away with that. Oh, like yeah. You very rarely ever have to win clean. Mm-hmm. So you can get creative with any finish that you know that yeah. you're supposed to win the match. So Andre was always, always the face. He was always loved. Um, he started to go into some territories though, where promoters were like, I need you to do the job. Doing the job is taking the pin, mm-hmm. losing to the other guy yeah. to make their talent look better. Like we're trying because you're leaving and we don't have you here to be established. It makes no sense of the guys we're trying to build up to seem like you invincible, yeah. like the hero having them lose to you then sets us all the way back to rebuilding them again. If we can even do that because they're undefeated at this point. So, I mean, it, it makes sense. It, it kind of sounds like the novelty was wearing off, but they could use Andre instead of using him as coming in as this heroic figure, they could use him as a stepping stone for the, the acts they wanted to promote and, and build up. Well, the tricky way that they would do it is when Andre would lose to somebody he would either lose via countout or disqualification. Mm-hmm. So he On, never got pinned. It, he did get pinned. This It's kind of weird, and we'll talk about why this kind of gets odd. But um, Jerry the King Lawler, yeah. uh, when he was down in Memphis wrestling, he actually beat Andre. Uh, Jerry's maybe six feet tall. Andre reports of him being anywhere between like seven one and seven four. Everybody says seven four. His body's so tough because as he kept growing he started kind of Hunching. having a hunch. Yeah. yeah. So his height would change depending on what it was. How much did he weigh? Uh that also kind of fluctuates too. He was anywhere between like four hundred pounds. I think they said the highest that they ever billed him as was five hundred and twenty. He looks uh, there's other I mean he's 
So to have him lose to somebody in a in a physical match is kind of hard to pretty believe. impossible. Yeah, and that I I'm glad that you brought that up because that's that's what really makes Andre Andre. And this is sort of straying away from the King story. Just to wrap up the King story, they go down to Memphis. Jerry ends up clotheslining him out of the ring. Loses Andre loses by count out. Uh-huh. So. A, a clean loss for him, basically, because yeah. it was a count out. He wasn't pinned. He wasn't submitted, yeah. anything like that. Newspaper runs a story saying that the midget beat the giant. And that was the headline. Jerry Lawler is like six feet tall. They said in the article that he was like five foot four. Like not even close. Beating this seven foot giant. We're talking to Rey Mysterio. Yeah. The, the big show match type stuff. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. So the local newspaper writes about it, and it kind of starts to get out into the press. So it's a little bit different. So that's just in that. But what made Andre brilliant and what I have to say makes him the best performer that I think could have possibly ever been. So Andre was so fucking strong, but he would always sell things better than anybody. And selling is like, if you take a fake punch, you have to make it look like it was real. The the reaction. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The reaction to whatever is going on. The reaction to whatever action they're doing against you. Yeah. So you have to, you have to ham it up. You have to sell the move. It's like getting hit with those trash cans that are literally almost made of tin foil. Yep. (laughs) And then doing the thing where you kind of look dazed and you stumble around, then you turn and just fall Looney Tune style. So if Andre loved you, Andre would sell to the moon. He would take a punch and you would see him stumble around the ring, not fall, but he would always just play it up. If he didn't like you, things would go south for you in a hurry. Because if you did something during the match, if Andre wasn't a fan of you outside or anything like that, when you got in the ring with him, he would put you through hell. And there's another term called working stiff. Mm-hmm. Working stiff is where you don't take anything off your punches, where every move that you do really doesn't have a lot of like flexibility to it, where yeah. everything, every move isn't going to hurt like it should, mm-hmm. but there's going to be a little stank on everything that happens yeah. to you. And when Andre didn't like you or you missed a spot in the match or you did something wrong in the match, Andre would get stiff with you and it would usually end like up... Like a wake-up call or a reminder? Very poor, like very quickly. Yeah. yeah, there was a match um, against our recently deceased, um, our gentleman, the Sheik, the Iron Sheik. Yeah. And he had a, a manager that was out there with him that ended up having to referee the match. Sheik did. Uh, Andre didn't like how the match ended up. He picked the guy up as on or as the sheik was laying on the ground, he mm-hmm. picked up the manager and started shaking him and the guy reacted really wrong. And you can see Andre get mad and he just throws the guy. He threw him inadvertently lands on the sheik's face, breaks sheik's nose because he just threw this human being willy nilly because this guy had done something wrong that Andre didn't like. It was just little shit like that where Andre, if he could, he could turn it on. Like, yeah. yeah. And it was just at the flick of a switch. Andre could kill people fairly easily yes. if he wanted to. Like, there wasn't much of it. But he, he was never, like, terribly rough with guys. He would always be gentle enough he to be He knew what the damage he could do, but he knew what he could, the force he could exhibit to let them know he was being serious. Yeah, or they were fucking so up. he could keep matches as a face really on track. Uh, so... Getting back to the WWWF, um, eventually, 1980, or I guess it wasn't 1980, but uh, 
Vince decides that he, or Vince Sr. decides he needs to sell to his son, Vince Jr., Vincent Kennedy McMahon, the guy that still sort of quasi runs WWE mm-hmm. today. Um, he's on the board. He's a very kind of tough figure because I feel like he's a brilliant man who pushed wrestling to new heights. But at the same time, he's also never really been a great dude. And it, sort of tough. This is 82. Um, just previously before that, 1981, in a wrestling match with Killer Khan. So this is into the 80s. We're sort of starting to get out of Andre's athletic heyday. Um, 19... What did I say? 1981. Oh, shit. I completely missed... Okay. Uh, sorry. I'm, I'm so excited about this. Um, we're going to jump back to 1980. Just boom, boom, boom. Uh, first feud with Hulk Hogan, 1980. Andre was the face against a very rare occurrence of Hulk Hogan being the heel. So when Hulk Hogan first came in, he was the bad guy? Yeah. His first meeting up with Andre, Andre was a face, Hogan was a heel. And contrary to popular belief, when they say that uh, WrestleMania three was the first time that Andre had been slammed, mm-hmm. Hogan actually did it in 1980, way before that happened. Uh, it wasn't really talked about. Was but, it not as televised and not as... Yeah, it was the just... The match wasn't as big. Well, and that's where getting into Vince Jr., which we'll talk about, um, Vince Jr. went national with the company like before that it wasn't on cable it was just Mm -hmm. local access so anything that happened would just be kind of localized and i believe that happened uh yeah it was at shea stadium so in new york okay but it happened at the mets outdoor stadium that was how big the show it was um now we'll get into 81 81 just kind of a, a weird quick note like i say this is where andre kind of starts to lose a step uh, May 2nd, 1981, he wrestles Killer Khan. Killer Khan breaks his ankle by jumping off of the middle rope, landing with a knee on his ankle, and broke his ankle. Really what happened... You're doing quotes when yeah. you say break. Well, really what happened was uh, two days before, he broke his ankle as he was getting out of bed. Just all that weight, stepped on it the wrong way. Yep, and... snapped his ankle. And then he went in and wrestled and did a match. Strapped up his boot, walked out there, gave a little bit of time. Killer Khan hits the knee to sell the break as far as that happened. Nobody ever found out at the time that Andre broke his foot getting out of bed or broke his ankle getting out of bed. So that's sort of like... For for someone to do that with him being as popular as he is, like people that don't follow wrestling, when you have a character like that and or like really popular... Uh, characters, wrestlers, and they get in, actually injured and everything, that means they got to step away from it. They All their storylines story have to be put on pause. They have to do all this kind of stuff. All so, of his bookings that he had left yeah. had to go away. So for that to happen to Andre like that, I'm just kind of wondering, was Killer Khan, was he like a popular wrestler at the time to be able to be the one that kind of like, because that's got to be a huge thing. He's the guy that basically took out Andre. He was, but he was just the next appointment on Andre's list. Okay. Like so he was they the didn't next match that he was going to... Because gonna... it had just happened two days before, they didn't have time to be, basically be like, it's got to be Hogan that does this. Mm, they couldn't build it up okay. to sell it because they didn't really have time. Okay, before we get into all the Hogan stuff and everything, bathroom break. Okay. All right, while we take a break from class and uh, take care of some business, you can also take care of some business. 
If you don't follow us on Instagram or Twitter already, our Instagram handle is historically high pod. That's historically high pod, and our Twitter is historically high. That's historically hi. All right, and back to our show. Oh, you doing that before we get back to it, huh? Yeah, I forgot to smoke in the bathroom. Okay. So, so 1982, Vince Senior sells to Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Vincent Kennedy McMahon did more for wrestling than, I mean, really any promoter I think ever really did. Uh, Vince, like I say, eccentric guy. He's one of those dudes, um, <laughs> like we said before, where you can get away with being a little bit nuts if you have a lot of money. Uh, but Vince has this idea to revolutionize, revolutionize wrestling by making it a national company with um, touring, which did not make any of the territories happy because everybody kind of had their own You're piece of the You're going to come encroaching on our territory yeah. with this act that people are going to be able to, across the country, tune into. They're going to be more familiar with you than us. You're trying to show up on CBS, a national television station, to really bring it to the masses. Mm-hmm. Um, at this time, Vince signs all of his... This is when the WWF becomes the WWF. This Get rid of that. The changeover. Yeah. Yep. World Wrestling Federation. I'm sure uh, Vince Jr. thought it was probably easier to say. Do you think there's focus groups? And they're like, it's too many W's. You probably got tired of writing it on everybody's chest. It sounds like you got a stuttered WWWF. <laughs> it is tougher to say. Yeah. So Vince drops the W, um, signs all of his talent in the WWF to exclusive contracts only with them. Made a special deal with Andre, told Andre that anywhere inside the United States, he was going to need to work for the WWF. He could still tour Japan. I believe they threw in Mexico as well. Um, He still would continue to tour up until the end of his life, Japan, pretty regularly. But this was mostly the time when he was in America just working for WWF. So, like I say... Vince is starting to encroach on everybody else's territories. Vince is starting to gobble up and cannibalize some of these other wrestling territories because they just can't compete with somebody who's on a national stage. Mm-hmm. And he also comes up with the ideas for WrestleMania. WrestleMania is by far and away... It's the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a Super, Super Bowl, Bowl wrestling. wrestling. It's... It fills NFL stadiums to capacity now. Like they, they mm-hmm. do outdoor events now. Well, the people to watch and pay per view buys and all that kind of shit. It's crazy. Yeah, it's just tons and tons of money. Uh, Nineteen eighty five WrestleMania one. Uh, so four years, roughly after the ankle, the actual ankle break. Yeah, he, he's sort of getting back to it. Eighty five, as far as just being healthy again, and you have to imagine, like, you probably X rayed Andre's ankle at the fucking zoo. Yeah, and, like, if you're thinking about it, for the time that, okay, so he's got the giganticism. Mm -hmm. He has a broken ankle, which means he's immobile and not being able to, like, exercise or move around. So not only that, I wonder how much of his talent and his agility and ability to move around was predicated on him continuing to do so, to be able to stay limber and things like that for recovering. And I'm guessing for a larger person like that to actually, for those bones to heal and all of that, would take longer. So that's just that much time that he's not being active. So it's not surprising when he comes back, he's definitely lost, lost a lot of that. Well, and Vince also told him that it was time to start wrestling what they call giant style Mm -hmm. and giant style is 
rarely running the ropes, so bouncing off the ropes, running across the ring, bouncing off the yeah. ropes. He cut that out. Vince told him that he needed to cut out any high-impact moves, so like a drop kick where you would jump up, kick both your feet out, hit your opponent. And land on your shoulder and your side and everything. Yep. No more climbing up the ropes, anything like that. All that's off-limits for giant style. It's a completely different style to wrestle. You're kind of just like shuffling and moving around. It's like a mix of wrestling and almost like control, like sumo. Yeah, it's a a slower, methodical style. Yeah. So you're not going to be throwing as many punches. You're not going to be throwing as many kicks, but when you do hit, you're so strong your opponent they will sell through the ring yeah the moves get sold much much harder Mm. um yeah wrestlemania one body slam match he has this with the aforementioned uh grandma's favorite choice big john stud big john stud was a very large man in and of himself and unfortunately andre sort of ran him off and uh, to say that andre's nickname in wwf was the boss Andre loved being in the back. He loved being with the boys. I think they played Parcheesi was the game that they would holding, play. What do they call it? Holden Court? Uh, yeah. He was the guy. He if Like I said earlier, if you were his guy, you were his guy. He loved you. If you weren't his guy, you would probably just have to either get dressed in another locker room or the bathroom or anything else. Like Andre would routinely kick people out of the locker room in the back mm-hmm. if he didn't like them. And one of Andre's deals was anybody that spoke French he would just immediately cling to because yeah. it was like a feeling of home. Oh yeah, definitely. And Andre growing up in the business, which he, he literally did. I mean, he was 18 years old when he started and he's climbed all the way up from being 18 years old to 1985. That's what? 30, 39. Yeah. 39. Yeah. Okay. I, it's a situation where that's really the only life that he's ever known. Mm-hmm. And 1986 comes around. 20-man Royal Rumble, Battle Royal. Um, he ends up winning that. Just stands in the middle of the ring and starts just chucking <laughs> people out. Well, the gimmick that they did, and I think gimmick's fairly self-explanatory, yeah. right? Uh, the gimmick that they did was they brought in William the Refrigerator Perry and a bunch of other NFL players mm-hmm. and put them in the match against Andre, along with a few wrestlers. Yeah, But it was like Andre... The toughest of the toughest. So def- like uh, the epitome of a gimmick match. Yeah. Yeah. And Andre still cleared the ring. He he wiped out everybody. It was a, a pretty big deal. It was a, I think it was a $15,000 prize that the winner got. And as soon as they hun- or handed Andre the money, he just started throwing it out into the crowd and celebrating him. Because mm-hmm. he was just, he was white hot. He was the biggest thing going in wrestling, really, between him and Hogan there. Um, 1986. Later on, after WrestleMania, Andre is kind of starting to have back problems. Um, but he also gets tapped for maybe the most famous thing that he did outside of wrestling, and that was to be Fezzik and Princess Bride. Which, uh, just to talk about it, I mean, what it's um, Bill Crystal. So uh, Rob Robin Reiner Wright. is the one that directed it. Yeah, Ro- Rob got- Reiner, which that blows me away, dude. I did not know that Rob Reiner directed that. Yeah, so you got uh, uh, Ben Savage. Is it Ben Savage or is it? I think it's Ben. So eh, One of the Savages. It's one of the Savages. Um, yeah, some people don't know that his... Robin brother- Wright, Billy Crystal. Carrie um, Ewells. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of the other... Um, the guy that plays in like all of the... Christopher Guest... I think he was the six-fingered man. You had... Um, Inigo Montoya. Uh, what is his name? Uh, 
Mandy Patikin. Is that what it is? I think something like that. But Andre steals that movie. Oh, yeah. He's got literally the most one-liners in that movie, and he's hilarious. The stories from that set, this is kind of venturing into my, my movie realm and everything, Yeah, are hilarious. Like, at one point, they were on set. I can't remember what they were doing. And they said Andre lit out a 20-second fart. 20 seconds of uninterrupted fart. It quieted the entire set. <laughs> and Rob Reiner just looked at him. He goes, are you okay? And he goes, I am not boss. <laughs> but, like, apparently from, like, the stories on that set, like, he was... It, it was the epitome of him being a gentle giant, like him and like Robin Wright and everything. Like he would talk to Robin Wright and all this stuff. And it's this weird when you see pictures and he's this huge man. She's just like this little, like little woman in a red dress and everything. It's that's, I, I wonder if that movie would be as beloved as it is if that character wasn't in there. And if that character wasn't played by him. Well, the other choices were going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger was on the list. Schwarzenegger wouldn't have no. been the same. You, it, those, those lines aren't delivered by Schwarzenegger. It's, does anybody want a peanut? Yeah. Does I, anybody want a peanut? I think Wilt was in the running too. Wilt Chamberlain. No. It just, it would have completely changed. They ended it. up putting them in he, Conan. Yeah. Well, some shit, he, but he actually makes it into Conan as well. Did he really? Yep. He, uncredited. But while he's over there doing it, um, one of kind of the sadder things from the set was his back was in such disrepair and in such bad shape that when he goes to catch Robin Wright, they actually had to attach wires to her. Oh, that's right. Because his back was so bad that he couldn't even carry the weight of a 120 pound woman. At the same time though, why would you not be doing that in the first place? Because like, even at the, as the camera shot from how I remember it, it's a double shot. So they show her jumping out. Then mm-hmm. they show him standing on the ground and then the shot of him catching her. He's still doing it from maybe like five feet, maybe a little bit more above. And at that point, that's still a hundred and something pounds coming. I understand, like, he's this giant man. But, like, have you ever tried to catch a weight that's being dropped that, that that's heavy? Yeah. You, you also proportionally have to... catch 50 pounds getting dropped off a roof or something. You got to remember, too, he's specially trained in catching people jumping off of high places. Okay, that, that is are, true. That are yeah, much that heavier. is true. So it's, it's a shame that it was that bad. Uh, so after he did that, just kind of one of the, the best stories that I ever heard. Uh, anytime after 86, Andre had a bunch of VHS tapes made of the princess bride. Mm-hmm. And every time they would be out traveling a circuit or anything like that, he would always make everybody come to dinner with him. And at dinner, they would watch uh, princess bride while they ate. Mm-hmm. And you would hear Andre like quietly muttering his lines as they were watching it. And then as soon as they got done, the first thing Andre would ask is what everybody thought of his performance. Like so, he was just so, so proud of what he what did. What does everybody think of the movie? And, and that was always, he'd be like, Hey, let's go out to dinner. He'd be like, does anybody want to go out to dinner? And they'd probably be like, yeah, man, you got any other entertainment? He's like, well, I, I was in a movie. <laughs> like, just the most bashful. Andre, just a cool I know thing. what dinner means with you. I'm still going to come because <laughs> yeah. it's fun, but you understand I've seen this movie up like six times already. I, it, I'm sure, like I say, after every time you'd be like, what did you think? Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, dude, I liked it the first five times. I loved it the sixth time. It just keeps getting better, Andre, <laughs> every time. So this. I mean, technically it does, but. Yeah. This is when we get into the epitome of why wrestling is the fucking best. When Andre left uh, to try to recuperate and to go to the Princess Bride, there was a storyline that came out where he was, I believe it was afraid of Big John Stud, and maybe that's where I'm a little foggy on it. 
but I don't think it was Stud. I, I don't remember who it was. But they called him out to be in a tag team match. They called on, Andre out? Yeah, they called Andre out to be in a tag team match. Bobby Heenan, greatest manager of all time. Well, I, I can't even go into him. He was another dude. Bobby Heenan's the funniest, goofiest dude ever. Like He was just a, a wild card as a manager. He was a terrible wrestler. He was like a circus gimmick wrestler that was just, he would go in there and do clown stuff. Mm-hmm. He was just so fucking funny, and he was such a good talker. So he's working at this time against Andre. They come out for the match. He says, Andre's scared. He'll never do it. Andre, of course, no-shows because he's going on there. So um, after that happens, Andre is suspended indefinitely from being in wrestling so he can go do the movie, get healed up and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. Andre doesn't come back as Andre. Andre comes back as one of the oldest wrestling gimmicks that there is known to man. Andre came back as somebody named Giant Machine in a mask. Now, in wrestling, there are like I quit matches, uh, loser leaves town matches, just basically where the winner wins, gets to stay, the loser has to leave the territory and never come back. And in most of these territories where you didn't have a lot of people moving around, they would then don a mask. You have to recycle. And don a, a new gimmick, like mm-hmm. a new a new persona that you could always tell that it was them because you see 90% of their body. You yeah. see all of their moves. You what hear them was talk. The, um, the one that comes to mind for me always about that is, was it Owen Hart and the Blue Tornado or? Uh, the Blue Patriot, I believe. Something like that, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Blue, it was a bird or something. Blue Falcon, maybe something yeah. like that. Um, Hogan did it. Everybody has done this at one point or another. A bunch of times. But his was like deliberate. He was never suspicious. Foley was different characters. Yeah. Foley was mankind. Dude Love, Cactus Cactus Jack. Jack. Yeah. Yeah. He he was a a very Do we count Mr. Socko as its own character? Socko was his own guy. Okay. Yeah. But Andre comes back in a mask. Andre the Giant is suspended indefinitely. Was his at least the like leotard differently? Was it still the one shoulder? I think he was still underwear at this point. He wasn't. He was trunks. He wasn't in the singlet yet. He okay. was still in his trunks. Yeah. But how are you ever going to mistake a guy named Giant Machine? Giant Machine. Andre the Giant. Giant Machine. Yeah. That was the fucking thing. We don't. You can't think of another word that means large. Well, Rowdy Piper did it at one point. He was the Piper Machine. Like just goofy shit like that, where it was just a dead giveaway. So he and. Crafts this idea where they need to figure out how to unmask Andre so they can show him. And if it actually is Andre underneath it, then he's fired from WWF Mm. forever. He can never come back. He's broken the suspension and all that kind of stuff. He's flaunted the rules. (laughs) So before he can get unmasked, they try it on multiple occasions. And it was like dumb vignette capers of like them trying to catch him in the shower and stuff like that. You have like the... the, the, (laughs) It's like Keystone shit. Yeah. Yeah. So before any of that happens, uh, they convene a trial. They find that Andre's suspension can be Is this lifted. during, like, an actual show? Uh, they're just, like, they would do them. They had things called, like, Saturday Night Main Event, and okay. they would just shoot, like, little almost skits. It was, like, a Saturday Night Live for wrestling. Sort of, okay. yeah. Well, they would do wrestling matches. It was usually pre-taped, and we'll get into why that was important. So, like, Saturday Night Live? No, because there were still wrestling matches. Like, it was still a wrestling show. It would just be like an interlude or something Mm -hmm. like that. Like, it would be a 15-minute block that that would be all they would do. So, Andre's back. And Andre comes back. So they never unmask him? Never unmask him. So wait, so how does Andre come back then? 
he serves his suspension. The, yeah, they lift wait, the wait, suspension. Wait. So, okay, so he still gets to participate <laughs> as giant machine before they're able to like find like solve the caper of who the giant machine is. Coincidentally, Andre's suspension is lifted yep. or he fulfills it and he's able to come back. And then giant machine leaves. Giant machine Just goes did, back. Did to... they ever do a thing where like he was carrying his gym bag out as Andre and the mask as giant machine fell out? Nothing that I saw like that, but that's why it's such a funny thing is it's the fans know exactly what's going on. Yes. And you still get to see it all play out. And it's just that tongue in cheek. Like this is goofy. This is what wrestling should be. It should be fun. It should be dumb. It should be obvious. So Andre comes back. 1987 is when shit gets hot. So Andre through this whole time in the WWF. This is probably when people that just have like a cursory knowledge of Andre the Giant. This is when they remember is from is the feud with Hulk Hogan Mm -hmm. because the one of the the most, if not the most iconic moment in wrestling occurs between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Yeah, yeah, match, uh, just everything. And the best part about it is WrestleMania three, where that match takes place, isn't even the best part of their feud. Like it, it's completely forgotten what happens after that. But Andre um, leads to Hogan's, or Andre has his first heel turn in America in 1987. And up until this point, him and Hogan are best friends. Him and Hogan are wrestling. They're tag teammates. Mm-hmm. They they do. Everybody, they have each other's backs and different They're feuds. so popular. Why don't we put these insanely yeah. popular guys together and then just, it's going to blow up even that much more. Mm-hmm. So 1987. That's what's, like, that's what's about the writing and about, like, the foreshadowing and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, yeah. And that's where the whole foreshadowing thing comes out here is 87, Hogan's doing a backstage interview, something called Piper's Pit, where Rowdy Piper had people come in and would do, like, a, a goofy mm-hmm. setup like interview Like what Mean show. Gene used to do, right? Yeah, it okay. was it was an interview, just a... a they're Let called, me tell you something, Mean Gene. They're called gigged interviews. So um, he's back there in Piper's Pit. Andre walks up. Who does he walk up with? Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan starts accusing Hogan of basically keeping Andre close so he doesn't come after Hogan's title because he knows that Hogan's afraid of Andre and that he's just been keeping Andre in his shadow so Andre doesn't come after the title. Mm -hmm. Andre full flips out and does something that I don't think he planned for. I don't think it was planned for. I think it was all random. He reaches over. He grabs his Hulkamania shirt, tears the Hulkamania off his chest, and in doing so, Hogan always wore the cross. Yeah. Grabbed the cross, yanked the cross off of his chest, too, and off of his neck. All in one motion. All in one motion. He grabbed it and did it. And at the same time, his fingernail dragged along Hogan's chest. Mm -hmm. As he ripped the shirt off, Hogan lost Hulkamania, which had just happened earlier, I think earlier that year Mm -hmm. at a pay-per-view. Hulkamania was born. Lost the cross, brother, the the cross that he always wore, (laughs) and he was bleeding all in one fleeting motion from Andre's massive hand grabbing it and tearing it off. Like, it was the most alpha thing that you've ever seen. And Hogan, you can actually see in his eyes, like, oh, shit, I didn't realize we were going that far with it because he got something yanked off his neck and his chest was bleeding. And it starts off the biggest feud, angle, rivalry in, I think, wrestling history i mean i there's stuff from my generation that i think could be bigger but this was it was the pinnacle it was this was for wrestling the, for the impact that it had and for being something that people have probably never really seen before to this scale yeah i would say it's probably the most impactful yeah and 
at this coming up to this juncture, this is before WrestleMania three. This was, I think three months before, um, Andre only has to wrestle one match and it was just another Royal rumble, uh, another battle Royal. Well, they're uh, trying to keep him healthy. really. Yeah. Because yeah. he's still having back problems. Mm-hmm. They know that he's going to have to go in for surgery. He has spinal stenosis. Um, so he's kept off TV. Vince invites him to come to his own personal gym and hearing some of the guys talk about it. Like there's been three or four people that Vince has ever invited to his personal gym to mm-hmm. work out. Excuse me. It's like Hogan warrior, um, John Cena, the rock, and then Andre and <laughs> to get along with, uh, what you were talking about at the princess bride, Vince was trying to get him healthy so he could go out there and work the match and be okay. Yeah, helping him rehab. Yeah, Vince is feeding him protein shakes, and Andre stops going and working out with Vince because he hates the protein shakes because they give him such bad farts. (laughs) And, like, if you're a regular human, you know what protein farts are. Imagine Andre protein farts. Jesus. How much protein he would have to be taking. Yeah. These aren't shakes. They're like... He'd just have to eat the tub. Yeah, here's your five-gallon bucket. Here's your Home Depot bucket of protein (laughs) shake, Andre. But all through his career, Andre wasn't like a weightlifter. He wasn't in the gym. He was just naturally that gifted and that strong. And I'm sure, you know, lifting four or five guys a night multiple times is Mm -hmm. definitely going to keep you strong. But he was never... Like, you'd never really catch him in the gym. So... The story leading up to WrestleMania three has one gear up match for Andre Royal Rumble, not real much. Um, it's told later on, and Hogan has said this. I don't really know how honest he is, but I think he is fairly honest about it. Um, they knew that Andre was going to put over Hogan because Andre needed surgery on his back, mm-hmm. so he needed to be written off, and they needed the torch passing of Andre being the guy to Hogan becoming white hot mega star. Yeah. Biggest, biggest attraction in the world. Andre was kind of out the door at this point. He wasn't going to become any more popular at this point. And Hogan's, you know, his star was going up. Yeah. And what better way to build Hogan than on Andre's sold 15 year undefeated streak. Yeah. And that's what it was because Andre, the only time, like I was saying earlier, when he would lose matches and territories, mm-hmm. none of that stuff was really national. So it never really hit yeah. the purview of like the, the actual public mm-hmm. that was watching on national TV now. So in essence, it was Hogan just becoming the champion that year. He's got like a five year win streak against a 15 year undefeated streak for Andre. Never allegedly been pinned. Just the biggest deal ever. And Hogan says that he didn't know if Andre was going to do the job for him when WrestleMania 3 came out. They had the story written. They had the ending written and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. But Hogan was legitimately afraid that Andre wasn't going to let Hogan pin him. Yeah. Because he didn't know where Andre's headspace was. Now, Andre never really strayed too much from what the script was. Yeah. And he knew that he... But you're asking, like, this is... It's going to sound silly. I understand people that, like, have never seen wrestling or anything that's going to sound silly. You have your... The reputation of your entire career. Everything that you've been building up to this point. All of the battles that you've fought that said, I'm not going to do this. Despite what you may have, you know, lost or lost out on jobs and stuff. And they're asking him to basically allow him to be defeated. Like he could have quit at some point and gone undefeated and it it wouldn't have tarnished his reputation. People would have understood at some point, like medically he couldn't have done it. 
but to be in a position to be like, is, is it that time? Is it time for me to basically cross this bridge and kind of start walking away from the only business I've known and really the only life I've known? Yeah. I mean, as far as that goes, like he losing to Hogan was just losing to the now biggest star in the world. So it, it, it wouldn't was, have hurt. But as somebody that was always the biggest star before that, yeah. that's got to be hard to reconcile with just like not even, you know, as a, as an actor, whatever he was, that's like a, a section of his life that's now gone. He still, for all of this happening, he, he just knew that he needed to be written off of TV but I think what scared Hogan and kind of what they speculated, because everybody else was like, yeah, Andre's, Andre's going to do the yeah. job. It's he's fine. Prof- he's a professional. Don't worry about yeah. it. But Hogan had a little doubt in his mind because I guess it was like five years earlier, and this didn't even happen in WWF. Mm-hmm. I think they were in, I think it was AWA, and it was just a match down in New Orleans. They were wrestling each other, and Hogan did something during the match that Andre didn't like, and Andre went full reel on him and just started hammering away on him. Their finish was supposed to be a double count out. Mm-hmm. Hulk had to get out of the ring so Andre would get out of there, and they ended up brawling until the refs couldn't stop them, and it was a double disqualification. So Andre ended up not finishing the match the way it was intended yeah. to because something happened. And here's the thing, and- too, man. At that size, and Hulk, Hulk Hogan's a big dude and was bigger back, you know, even back then. He was billed at 300 pounds at WrestleMania 3, so I, 280. I, don't, yeah. I mean, he, he was a thick boy. He was, yeah, definitely. What I'm saying, steroids. though, is against Andre, all Andre has to do is get a hold of him and use his actual strength. And if Andre wants to win that match, Hogan's not getting out of the ring. Yeah. Andre can literally just drag him underneath him and lay on top of him and look at the ref and be like, count it. Or count it, or I'm grabbing you next. <laughs> You're going to be under me after this. Uh-huh. And that's so, all that it would have taken, and then what would have happened. So, I mean, there is a lot of trust. I mean, like I'm saying, not, you know, I, I know about Andre the Giant to a degree, not to, not to this, but, like, just looking at it from a, a human standpoint, it's, it's a big ask. Oh, yeah. You, you have to have someone that's in the right headspace to say, I'm ready. Well, and that's, I mean, Andre just, he knew it had to happen, and... For all of this being the big thing, I mean, this was WrestleMania three. This is the Pontiac Silverdome. This is the largest crowd inside of like an indoor crowd mm-hmm. that had ever happened up to that point. And I'm pretty sure like basically still almost this sold hundreds of thousands of pay-per-view buys like this. It was the biggest sports spectacle in the world for that, that one period yeah. of time. And I think still today holds up pretty big. There's, Debate on how many people were there, but when you see the crowd mm-hmm. in the Silverdome, it's just butts to nuts. Yeah. Everybody's there. Um, I don't know if they created it this way, but they actually had a lift system that would bring wrestlers down because it was the Silverdome and it was kind of out at the 50-yard line. Mm-hmm. They had like a trolley system to bring guys out so they didn't have to walk the aisles. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was to get Andre out of there yeah. or out to the ring. He's in real bad shape. He's got this real bad back. He's preparing for surgery. Vince actually flew in specialists to create larger instruments so they would be able to do the back surgery to correct his spinal stenosis. Mm-hmm. Like, that was how out of the ordinary it was. And we'll talk about the anesthesia because that's fucking amazing. It's urban legend, but it's pretty well confirmed yeah. what happened. So Andre gets out there. Um <laughs> For him having a bad back, it was a spectacular match. I've... Didn't he give Hogan a signal at some point that told him he was on board? Yeah. 
so Andre's out there as the heel character. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about earlier, the heel character is the one that calls the match. Yeah. So Andre's calling the match for Hogan. At one point... Um, was this rehearsed or was this, what did you call it, on the job? Uh, on the fly. On the fly. Uh, it was pretty much called on the fly. Okay. Like, they knew the finish, but they had wrestled each other so many times. Like, they know what And wrestled a, with each other so yeah. many times. They knew, yeah, okay. What gets a big reaction, anything yeah. like that. So, uh, they lock up. I think it is... It may have been the first time Hulk knocks him down, just flat off of his feet in the match. Uh, Andre goes slam. Hogan kind of gets up, brings Andre to his feet. They do a couple more things. Hogan picks him up and body slams him for the first time on American television. I, I, I can like, I'm watching it in my head because I've seen so many clips of that moment where like, you got to understand this is someone that is probably at this point close to 450. He was 480 build that match. Okay. So 450. Yeah. Let's dial it back a little bit. I, I think he, looking at him, he was 500. Yeah. But he, to get definitely under and pounds. lift him off the ground, not only like a squat, it's different if the weight's all behind you uh-huh. and you're going down and it's all in your legs. That's leaning forward, getting someone up. And of course, he's kind of helping to shift his body, but he got him completely off. Rotate. The risk alone of that <laughs> move with someone even of, of Hogan's size. Yeah. All it took was if he would have got him upside down and then not been able to do the roll to get him onto his back, dropped him on his neck. Like that dead. that's literally something that could paralyze him. No, that's just dead. When you're five hundred pounds and you get dropped on your head, yeah. I, I don't think you're coming back for it. Plus, bad back already. Hogan said that he had partial tears in both of his biceps and in his back after from he, lifting him? Yeah, from lifting him. That was how bad it was. I don't know how much I believe he slammed him before. Other people had slammed him up to that point, but mm-hmm. it was not it wasn't ever on TV. Yeah. And Andre was really good about the rare occurrence when it would happen. He would always push off with his feet on the way up. Yeah. So really the only time they got the full weight is when he was up on their chest before they dumped him off. Yeah. So uh, pretty good help on that. As soon as he hits the slam heard around the world, he hears Andre say leg drop. Hogan gets up and realizes... Leg drop. Yeah. Leg drop. Hogan knows that... That's the finisher. Yeah, that's that's the that's job. That's the precursor Hogan's, to the Hogan's pin. leg drop always will finish somebody. So runs off the ropes, hits the leg drop, and Andre takes the three. That's another funny thing in wrestling where there will be times when you'll see somebody hear the third pound on the mat and they'll immediately kick out. And it's supposed to make it look like they were tougher and they almost beat the three count. Andre sold it just fine. Andre, he took it. He took the one, two, three. Hogan gets up. Andre sort of immediately starts to roll out of the ring, but Mm -hmm. he's still hanging up. Like you could tell he sort of broke away from like trying to sell the leg drop. It's yeah. like, I'm still the giant. Mm-hmm. He only temporarily stunned me. Yeah. He gets out of the ring. He starts screaming. Uh, during the match, there was an... Like inund- start screaming, like, I didn't lose. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't lose. lose. Like, I didn't okay. lose. Heenan's going nuts right next to him. And he sort of had an argument because during the match, there was an incidental three count mm-hmm. where Andre was on top of him and it was legit one, two, three. Yeah. Hogan never got a shoulder up till after the three, but the ref knew what the plan was. Yeah. So the ref just said that was two, that was two. And Jesse, the body Ventura, the former governor of Minnesota yeah. and very big wrestler mm-hmm. was on the call and accidentally was like, 
ooh, that looked like a three and sort of, I don't know if it was accidental that he did it, yeah. but it sets up Just everything. calling it in the heat of the moment. Yeah, yeah. sets up everything after it. Um, I think this thing could fix America. I think WrestleMania three could fix America. And I come to this conclusion after watching almost every Hogan Andre match that I could find. Um, if we just, if we're so worried about everybody standing for the national anthem, mm-hmm. if we just switch the national anthem to I am a real American, the Hogan theme song, everybody would stand. It, it starts out so nice. Cause it starts out with like that far away, like, I am a real American. And you get in with the dun, dun, dun. It's dun, so hot. It's so it catchy. it comes crashing down and it hurts inside. Like, how does that not make you want to stand up? Yeah. Talks about keeping them free. Talks about fight hurt for my your friend, rights. Then you fight hurt for my pride. Rights. Yeah. I've got to take a stand. It's a banger. Yeah. You, it's just, if that was the I national anthem. I actually think I have that on my phone. I'm not going to play it for copyright reasons, but yes, it is on my phone. I, I think that... Um, we could probably be the most dominant country in the world again pretty easily because you've heard everybody else's national anthem. It's mm-hmm. all that kind of shit. Yeah. But when it's, I'm a real American and people hear that, they're immediately going to quake in their boots. Oh, like that's yeah. it's the, the biggest thing. And how I know this for sure is after every big win that Hogan had, he always stayed out there for an extra five or 10 minutes, did the ear to the crowd side to of the ring. It. And you just mm-hmm. hear it on a loop, and it yeah. never gets old the whole 10 minutes that you're out there. I'm pretty sure there's only two verses, but National Anthem doesn't need to be longer than that. Run it back. I mean, Run our National Anthem's like four verses, but we only sing the first one because the rest of them get a little dicey. Yeah. But it's an incredible time. Um, so Andre ends up being written off after that so he can go have his back surgery. Uh, going into his surgery, surgery is a very tricky thing because – you have to give someone enough anesthesia to put them out, but not to kill them. Mm-hmm. And so you work on a weight-based program. Um, Andre was so heavy. And not only that, he was taking so many painkillers at that point for his back. And he was drinking so heavily that you can't really go off of weight because his tolerance is so high yeah. that anesthesia is not going to do a mm-hmm. whole lot. So the anesthesiologist actually had like an interview with him about how much alcohol he consumed on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And that was how they decided Trying to build a baseline. Yeah. To that understand was how much they had to equal. Uh-huh. Like, equal it. Yeah. Like what the range was to where they could give it to him to overcome everything. Yeah. All of his, his build this up. Many CCs is worth this many beers. Uh-huh. Or what, yeah. And then be like, but this much will definitely kill him. Yeah. So he goes through surgery successful. Um, everything's really pretty decent after that. Starts his rehab to be built up, um, sort of to kind of come back on it. Um, comes back at SummerSlam, and something that Vince did that I think was pretty dirty. But Jim Crocker Promotions, NWA, WCW, they're all still running, and they're kind of like Hog- or WWF's main competition. Yeah. Every time they had a big event, Vince would schedule Andre Hulk. Because he knew that it would take every eyeball off of Jim mm-hmm. Crockett and he would put it right on Andre and Hulk every single time. Yeah. SummerSlam runs. Um, Andre comes back. Counter, or not SummerSlam, Survivor Series. Sorry. What, what year was this? Uh, I believe this was 88. Okay. So he's had some time. This might have been 87. I think it might have been later on in 87. 
Because I think it was a, a fairly quick, it was spinal stenosis, so it wasn't like a very deep back surgery, okay. but it was still back surgery nonetheless. Um, WrestleMania would have been probably March back then. SummerSlam would have been August, late August maybe. Okay. So there's definitely some time in between. Um, he comes back, confronts Hogan. It's another big deal. Or Survivor Series. So shit, why do we keep doing that? There's so, so many fucking pay-per-views. Yeah. Well, there was just a big four back then. It was Rumble, it was WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. Mm. So Survivor Series is November, so way away okay. from March. Um, in Survivor Series, the main match is always called the Sole Survivor Match. Four guys, five guys on one side, five guys on the other mm-hmm. side, tag teams. Team Andre versus Team Hogan. It's against Jim Crockett programming. I don't remember if that was Clash of Champions, but it was something like that. Again, immaterial. Um, Andre's the lone survivor. Andre wins the match for his team. It's Team Heenan. It's all of Team Heenan's other guys. Mm. It's Hogan. It's Macho Man. Wait, now he's against Heenan? No, Heenan's still with Andre. Oh, okay. So, but on the other side, it's like Hogan, Jim Duggan, Macho Man. Um, I guess in a weird twist, you know Jim Duggan. Oh, yeah. The, the most American-American that's American ever Yeah, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So Hacksaw had himself a proclivity for smoking the reefer. Mm-hmm. And Hacksaw ended up getting arrested one night in town, or in just a town along their trip for smoking weed. They bailed him out. And Andre basically told him, like, you are going to quit marijuana. And Duggan's like, I don't think so. He goes, you are going to quit marijuana. And Duggan's like, done. No more smoking weed for me. I guess I'm quitting marijuana. Yeah, like just that, that was What's it. marijuana? I, and that's that's where he got the boss moniker, was he kept everybody in line. Uh, so after Survivor Series happens, possibly the greatest angle um, in wrestling history, 1988, something called Saturday Night Main Event. Um Heenan brings up again through all these different uh, interviews. Hogan lost that match. Andre got the mm-hmm. three count. Even Ventura said it happened just over and over and over again, just goading him into it. Uh, Andre gets his match again against Hogan for the title. And at this time, they brought in a guy named Ted DiBiase, mm-hmm. Million Dollar Man. Um, Ted DiBiase was, uh, I think he was out of the AWA. So, they Hogan and Andre had wrestled DiBiase before. Yeah. DiBiase's gimmick is a million dollar man. He tries to buy his way into wrestling Hogan for the title because he wants the title. That ends up not being able to happen. So Andre's next in line. Um, Saturday at main event, 1988. It's called the twin referee angle. And the twin referee angle is the most perfect set of events that have ever happened. Andre comes out to wrestle. Um, Middle of the match, Hogan and Andre are going back and forth. The referee is Dave Hebner. Dave Hebner's been with the company for forever. He's a, a really good ref. Um, turns out that not a lot of people knew that he had a twin brother named Earl that was in the AWA. And a week beforehand, um, Earl had put his two weeks or two weeks beforehand he put his notice in with AWA mm-hmm. that he was quitting there. Didn't tell anybody that he was going to WWF. Didn't tell anybody what was going on. Just moving on to greener pastures. Thank you for your your time with me. Like, I'm done. I'm out of it. So Dave ends up getting knocked out. In the middle of the match, there was a scuffle. Dave goes down. 
And Dave gets taken to the back. All of a sudden, the same referee that looks exactly like Dave comes running full speed out of the back in perfect health while $100 bills are falling out of his pocket that he's trying to shove into his pockets. (laughs) He goes in. Andre gets a quick one, two, three on Hogan on a pin attempt. Hogan kicks out, almost breaks it. And Andre gets the belt. Andre holds the belt up. Ted DiBiase's uh, music hits. DiBiase comes walking down the aisle, gets in the ring, slaps Andre on the back. Andre hands DiBiase the title. Andre the Giant sold the title to Ted DiBiase. He bought the twin referee, Earl Hebner, from (laughs) AWA, brought him in. Dave goes down, sends Earl out there with the money falling out of this his pockets. Of events the, that had to yeah, happen. They yeah, had. Yep. Dave had to go down. <laughs> Dave has to go down. Earl, go, go, tuck that money. So the one time that Andre is ever world champion, he doesn't ever lose it. It immediately protects Andre because he didn't lose the title. Yeah. He sold the title. He didn't need the title. He was a draw in and of himself, oh, yeah. by himself. Eventually, they're the going to have to... The moniker of the giant was the only title he needed. Yeah. That was, like you said, that was, that was literally it. So, I feel like it. just watching it play out, I've watched it multiple times. Just I'm not going to call it research. It's just for pleasure at this yeah. point watching it. Just incredible how it all happens and the turn of events that happens. Not going to get into much after that. Um as far as that whole storyline goes, that I feel like was kind of the the pinnacle for him because afterwards stuff really starts getting getting bad. His back never really heals right. Um, he has a break. I, I think, feel like and, he's rushing after surgery. He's back into yeah. this stuff. Well, and there's so much of it, and we'll talk about kind of the psychology of him, but Andre needed to be with the boys. Yeah. He needed to be traveling. He wanted like, to be around that lifestyle, and if that meant – having to wrestle every now and then and putting his health out there or in jeopardy even more so than it already had. Uh I guess it was worth it for him to be around that environment and be around those people. Well, and right around this time, Vince starts talking to Andre about slowing down, about he's only going to be working 10 shows a year that Mm -hmm. they have. He he might show up on a pay-per-view to do something or just small stories, just anything like that, just... Uh, the exclusivity of being able to see Andre was going to be kind of his major lasting effect. Andre didn't want to do that. Andre wanted to continue traveling. He wanted to be on the road. He wanted to to go with his friends out there mm-hmm. because that was the only life that he knew. Yeah, he had a ranch. Those in, were his friends. Yeah, he he had a ranch in LRB Texas or in LRB North Carolina that he had um, like Holstein cattle on, like mm-hmm. he was a cattle farmer. And when he wasn't on the road, he would go there. He would enjoy it. That's where he would go do some of his, his time after surgeries. Mm-hmm. But he just, he loved what he did. And he loved being Andre. What The best way that I can say it, and the way that I heard described so many times, and it makes so much sense, is when Andre isn't wrestling and he's in the real world, everybody looks at him, everybody gawks at him, everybody freaks out when they see him, everybody yeah. points. When Andre's in a locker room wrestling, nobody points. Yeah. Nobody stares because they know him. They've he been has around full, him. He has full acceptance there. It's yeah. a world in which uh, he has full acceptance where everyone has gotten past that initial shock of seeing him and everything. And the everyone allure. just He's Andre. Like, out, you know, he'd much rather be, it seems like, Andre the Giant than to just, he was scared to go back and be Andre. I, does that sound corny? Like, he was scared of just having to be Andre. <laughs> no, I... 
I think that that's really what it was. I think that he didn't want to be in the outside world because the outside world wasn't what he knew. So, career certainly slows down after that. Um, 1989, he put over the Ultimate Warrior. So he lets him pin him. Yep, uh, lets him pin him multiple times. Um, they were in a battle for the Intercontinental title. Warrior held the title. First time um, Andre wrestles Warrior. Warrior works very, very stiff, and this was before this happened. Very, very stiff. Andre didn't like the way that he worked because he was hitting people too hard. He was causing injuries. He was just going too fast, and you saw the Warrior wrestle. Yeah. I mean, he was just all electricity yeah. all the time. So when he'd hit somebody with a clothesline, it was going to... Steroids will do that to you. Yeah, shit, yeah, shit yeah. was, was going to hurt. Um, second time he wrestles Andre, Andre gave him a, a pass the first time, didn't like it. Second time he wrestles Andre, Warrior comes off the ropes with a clothesline, throws his full body into Andre, and tries to take him down and mm-hmm. hurt him. Andre didn't like that. Second time Warrior hits the rope and comes in, big or Giant sticks his fist straight out, hits him in the jaw, knocks him out on his feet. You see him legitimately stumble around the ring, like concussed, out of it. All of a sudden, Warrior knows... Andre said I was too stiff. I didn't listen to him. That's what happens when I go too hard. Uh, next time, he goes for the third clothesline. Just butterfly kisses it in there. Right off of Andre's chest. Andre sells the fuck out of this clothesline. Because he knew that Warrior was ready to play ball. Mm-hmm. So he hits him with this third clothesline. Andre's stumbling around the ring and grabbing the ropes to keep standing. And just selling it completely. And... After that fist to the face that knocked Warrior out on his feet and Warrior learning that that was how he wanted to work with him, they were just fine and were best of friends after that. And just little shit like, like that. He seems like he's like the den mother. Yeah, he, he knew how to correct That's any That's what I'm negative. saying is he sounds like he was just at this point, like he got to a certain point in his career where he was almost like, he's like, I'm going to be a teacher of how you should do this shit. <laughs> And he was a, a great worker. Like, he, he would sell well. He would perform moves well. But 89, he's really running down. They're trying to build Warrior up to become a world champion. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's Warrior run all over him. Does the job for him. That's great. And coming up to his last times, um, he wrestled with King Haku. I'm going to throw that in there because Haku is one of my favorite wrestlers ever. Uh, they were tag partners because Andre couldn't wrestle a full match really by himself mm-hmm. anymore and be able to control it. He needed to get beat down or he'd get beat down pretty quick. 1990 his final official, like major match, um, in WWF. It was between, uh, them all Japan wrestling. And there was somebody else in there. All Japan had a guy named giant Baba. Giant Baba was fucking sweet. He was like six ten. He, him and, Andre like teamed tag team together till the end mm-hmm. because Baba was younger and he could go and Andre could stand in the yeah. corner, catch a hot tag, give three or four chops to the head, mm-hmm. knock down the opponents, tag back out. Baba gets in, finishes off the match. Yeah. It was a great combination to watch. Um, so that was his last really official time. Uh, 1990, he appears in something called the UWF. And this, uh, Andre and Vince had basically completely parted ways at this point because Vince was just begging him to go easy on his body mm-hmm. because he just, he refused to. He he had that separation He's anxiety. He's like, if you're not going to let me do it here, I'm going to go elsewhere to do it. Yeah. yeah. So he, he had to walk away. And he goes to UWF. UWF is one of the wildest wrestling promotions ever. Well, uh, 
I don't know if there's enough for a, a full episode, but and just the interest factor, but it was wild. Uh, Andre shows up there, realizes that the promoter is kind of just bringing him in to try to give him more clout and look better while not like letting Andre wrestle mm-hmm. and do anything like that. Um, his final appearance ever in the WWF 1991, he came out as the Bushwhackers manager to go across the ring from the natural disasters, which were Typhoon and Earthquake. And their manager was Bobby Heenan. Mm -hmm. So the big payoff there was he was finally going to get revenge on Heenan for for that to kind of tie everything up. Um, From 90 to 92, Andre wrestled in All Japan Pro Wrestling and then in Mexico. He would tour Japan three times a year, and him and Baba were tag partners in every single match. So it's kind of like he found a road dog that he could travel with and still enjoy Japan, but he wouldn't have to do the work that really he had to, to perform in a match. Um, this one hurts me cause it's just sad. I'm not mad that he did it and I don't feel bad that he did it. And this is like the only time I really feel bad for Vince, but Andre's last official TV appearance was September, 1992 at clash of champions for WCW. And it was the only time that Andre had ever showed up in WCW. And they said that Vince, like, had two or three days afterwards where he was just so sad that him and Andre's, who were presumed, like, best friends. Yeah. Very, very close. That Andre would go over to the competition. And all he did was show up. He did an interview. They showed him at the, the party afterwards. Um. Final match that he ever wrestled, December 4th, 1992, was in Japan. It was another match where him and Bobo were teamed up. Um, 46, he passed away in a Paris hotel of, or age 46. He passed away of congestive heart failure in a hotel in Paris and had dinner with a few guys that night, said he was pretty tired, he was going to head up to bed, went to bed, never woke up. Um, When they did the... Autopsy, they said that he had just amassed a bunch of fluid around his heart and it was just too much and he couldn't take it. So, uh, <laughs> in true Andre fashion, he's in Paris, he's in France, his whole entire family is still in France. He has this ranch in LRB, Texas. So, his will stated that he wanted to be put or he wanted to be buried at his ranch. Mm hmm. Andre was so goddamn big that the country of France did not have a casket to be able to transport Andre's body in. So Vince was like, eh, still love Andre, want him to get his stuff right, we need to build him a casket. In the meantime, while that's happening, they cremated Andre's ass because he was so goddamn big that they couldn't figure out a way to like respectfully put him in like a box to send him back to America. Or even like... To like in a morgue, you have to put them in a like a cooler. Like there aren't doors and yeah. shit like that big enough to fucking get Andre. And they're like, this thing is gonna start like, with all due respect, <laughs> this shit's gonna start rotting. They need to put them in a butcher's freezer. No kidding. They're like, um, we're <coughs> calling around different butcher shops to see if anyone has a freezer big enough to hold Andre the Giant. Yeah. So Andre's cremated remains were brought back. Um, he was. Spread that's gonna be a lot of ashes, had to be. Yeah, when they spread it, I'm sure it covered a pretty large swath. Um, at his ranch, like I said, in Ellerby, North Carolina. Um, 19 this is kind of 
this is the saddest part. It's just, it's real rough. He, he died early. Him and Vince were the same age. So mm-hmm. I think it really kind of took a toll on Vince to see his friend that he fell out of favor with and they never really mended fences. Yeah. And the fact that he just passed away at the same age mm-hmm. that Vince was. So I'm sure that was really rough. Um, he had one child. He had one daughter. It, kind of that, <coughs> excuse me, the dual, duality of Andre where he gave everything to everybody else. He only met his daughter a handful of times mm-hmm. in her life. And in his life, but in his will, he left his entire estate to his daughter. So she hopefully was able to like take the ranch over and just kind of take everything over and kind of learn about her dad mm-hmm. through everything that was there. Um, <coughs> geez, that last hit sucked. To get to the fun stuff, because there's so much fun about Andre. 1974, Guinness Book of World Records. Uh, put him in there as the record for the highest paid wrestler in wrestling. Don't know how that's a Guinness record. Seems fucking weird. There's that records that is. for fucking everything now, man. Yeah. $400,000 is what he's getting paid. It's the equivalent of Two right point. around maybe a little less than $2.5 in today's market, which that's good money. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's really good money to do what he did. Um, as an actor, just fucking incredible <coughs> lineup and totally Andre the whole entire time. Uh, he was Bigfoot. On a two-part episode of the Six Million Dollar Man, nice. And there's actually a scene where you can see him walking through the forest, and he's wearing sneakers. So it's Bigfoot wearing sneakers <laughs> in the background of, in a Bigfoot suit, or yeah, yeah, just fucking incredible. Um, he was in Zorro. He was in something called BJ the Bear, or BJ and the Bear. Don't really know what that was. Um, greatest American Hero. He has a cameo in. Um, 1984, like I was talking about, Dagoth was an uncredited actor in Conan the Destroyer. And about right around when that was happening, have you seen the picture of Andre and Schwarzenegger and Wilt Chamberlain standing next to each other? So they went out to dinner when they were shooting down in Mexico. And I think Andre, that's where he got his uncredited part, was Mm -hmm. they had dinner down there. Andre was wrestling down in Mexico when that was happening. They go out for dinner, and Schwarzenegger walks up to the waitress or walks up to like the maitre d or whatever to pay for the meal. Mm-hmm. And Andre had told him the whole entire night, he's like, "You are not paying." And Schwarzenegger's like, "Whatever, I got it. You are not paying." So Schwarzenegger, what the you giant freak, I'm paying. <laughs> yeah, Schwarzenegger's over there trying to um, get his payment to go through. Andre walks over, picks up Arnold Schwarzenegger, picks up Arnold Schwarzenegger. When you see the picture of them standing side by side. It does make Arnold Schwarzenegger look like the child mm-hmm. of those two, and he's like six two. Yeah, he's he's not a small man. But like he comes up to like Andre's. It feels like Andre's like armpit. Yeah, well, and that's where the debate comes around. And I don't know if it's because he was older and he was a little slumped. Wilt Chamberlain's right around seven foot, seven foot one, mm-hmm. and they're pretty much like close yeah. eye to eye like yeah. they're they don't uh, andre looks massive because yes. he's just that much he wearing a white shirt in the picture uh-huh yeah. i think so white shirt and like blue bell bottoms yeah. maybe but uh, it just it's incredible all the stuff that he did getting into fezzik princess bride maybe uh, you'd call it a cult classic yeah um i don't even think cult classic i don't think it was as popular and uh, yeah probably kind of cult classic a little bit um, something called Trading Mom. Don't know what the fuck that was. That was 1984 
too. I'd never seen it. Uh, something very cool that came out of Princess Bride. 1998, My Giant. Billy Crystal wrote My Giant over his friendship that he had started with Andre um, when they met on The Princess Bride. Really? And so that whole movie is based around his relationship and his friendship that they had with Andre. Or that he had with Andre. That's a really good movie, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so cool to think that Billy cared so much and thought that much about Andre, what, five years after he passed away that he made a movie for him. Yeah. And since they had worked together literally 11 years, even 11 years before that. Yeah. So they must have had a pretty special friendship. Uh, Just to finish out, we got to finish on the myths and the stories because Andre was... we already talked about him working out. We don't really have to go into that. Um, his death, just very, very quickly to sum it up, they didn't attribute the congestive heart failure to his agromalia that he had. Mm-hmm. It was just a, a separate issue. I'm sure, like you say, it was probably an extenuating circumstance yeah. of what happened, but it wasn't the complete thing. So you were talking about getting him around earlier. Yes. Andre made the travel from, I think it was 13 hours that he would have to fly to get to Japan when he would go fly back Mm -hmm. over there to do tours or anything like that. Andre took up two first class seats in every flight that he took. And in most flights that he took, he was too big to go to the bathroom and use the restroom on a 13 hour flight. Mm -hmm. Um, There were times when Andre would have to do the big job on the plane where the flight attendants would actually have to hold up a blanket in front of him while he shat in his seat in a bucket. Which, again, it's it sounds just shocking, but try to imagine how horrifying that would be that yeah. something that's out of your control. I know, yeah. It's just, it's so nuts. Um, him being over in Japan, he was still... Uh, in America, he was too big for everything. Yeah. He had to have shit custom made for him here. Mm-hmm. In Japan, everything is still it's so much like smaller. It's already like two sizes smaller. So he would do things called tub flops, which is where he would go into the bathroom. He couldn't shower in the bathroom mm-hmm. in the bathtub. So he would lay down newspaper in it, and he would sit on the edge of the bathtub and do his business into the bathtub onto the newspaper because he couldn't fit sitting on the toilet. And then he would ball it up and somebody would come pick it up. And he would just shit into a pile of newspaper. Giant shit. Giant. Ball it up into the newspaper and then just be like, housekeeping. That's that's how they disposed of it. I, I don't know. And he was in Japan know. a lot. Huh? So there's a generation oh, yeah. of people in Japan. The clean up Andre shit. Who, their, their grandparents or parents had the distinct honor of carting Andre the giant shit out of out of random hotel rooms. Talk about a fun way to meet somebody. Can you imagine that? Like you're dating a a girl and she takes you home to see her family and you're talking to her grandpa. And he's like, I could tell you some stories. He's like, you want to hear about the time I (laughs) had to cart eight loads of Andre the giant shit out of a hotel room wrapped in newspaper? You guys want to talk about that time that Andre had Korean barbecue and I was on shift? (laughs) So what about the drinking? Uh, we got to save that one for last. Okay. So uh, to go along with the the weird bowel movement stories, um, a guy that I had mentioned to you before we started, Bad News Brown. Mm-hmm. Bad News Brown fought as Bad News Allen in Canada. He fought in the WWF for a while. Underrated guy, really good performer. Um, him and Andre kind of had some back and forth. 
where they weren't really friends, Andre had said some things about Bad News Brown being an African-American man that Bad News didn't really like. But they'd sort of mended fences. Andre had apologized for what he said. Um, And during a match, one big thing that Andre used to do is he would get you into the corner, and then he'd grab the ring ropes, and he'd pull himself away, and he'd slam his ass back into you. Yes, and he'd, yep. So... Bad News Brown caught himself on the business end, down in the corner, not standing, unfortunately, but actually sitting down in the the corner of the turnbuckles. Andre did that. As he did that, he had been coming off of a rough stomach night, and I don't know. The the story definitely happened. Uh, The substance is what is in question, whether Andre may have filled his wrestling trunks or it was just the passing of some gas. But there had been some... I'm going to get graphic here. I don't. We don't do trigger warnings, really. We probably should more, but this is a trigger warning. Um, there was some particulate on Bad News Brown's chest. Now, Bad News Brown broke away from the character, screamed, ducked under the rope, rolled out of the ring after taking this massive ass smash to the face, sprinted all the way to the back, and washed in the shower. Like, he ran straight into the shower in his trunks and his boots and everything because there may have been some Andre particulate on him. Andre, I guess, felt really bad about it and walked immediately to the back and started apologizing for what had just happened. Because Andre knew, too. Oh, yeah. Bad news. Oh, yeah, you know when you shit your pants. Like, the next day, I guess, bad news just couldn't quit laughing about it. He's like, yeah, dude, it was fine. I I understand you got stomach issues. Like, I just prefer that you don't (laughs) do that to me ever again. Let me know so we can can take that move (laughs) out of the match. Yeah. Yeah, let's maybe take that out of the planning. Um. Yeah, I guess we got to get to the drinking because the, the drinking some of the best stories. Um, after an incident that happened in New York one night where Andre had had too much money, he was actually walking home. Okay. He was walking home and he stumbled out of a bar and lost his balance and fell on a man on the streets of New York. After that incident had happened, I guess he paid the guy's medical bills, apologized, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. After that happened, every time Andre was in New York to do a show, the New York Police Department would actually send out a private detective to follow Andre around to make sure that if anything like that happened, they could take care of it and make mm-hmm. sure that he was okay to get home. Uh, Andre sniffed it out pretty quick and started sending drinks over to the private investigator or the private policeman mm-hmm. that was following him. And, like they would have drinks yeah. together. But Andre, for the most part, anybody that ever went out with him, they knew that if you didn't want to spend the night with Andre, because eventually a point in the night, you just don't have a choice. Andre Mm -hmm. will make you stay and he will drink you until you don't remember anything that Mm -hmm. goes on. So they said that you either leave before they order food or you leave as Andre's paying the check. Because if you didn't between those two times, you you were going to be in it for the long haul. There was one night where it was coming up. Closing time, last call was called, and Andre ordered 40 vodka tonics. 40 all at once, right at closing time. So the bartender, instead of doing it, when he ordered it, he ordered them all with the ice on the side. Mm-hmm. So clearly it was so he could just continue drinking at his leisure. Yes. The bartender's like, whatever, dude, you're going to be here for forever. The bartender stayed with him till 5 o'clock in the morning. That Andre had drank all of Why these. Why wouldn't you if you were that bartender? Yeah. I wouldn't have yeah. a fucking gripe. I guess I'd be it's like, not that big of a sure deal. You don't want to go 50? 60? 40 seems kind of conservative. Andre was putting down, he didn't put down all of them because there were a few guys that stayed with him, but the strong majority in the 30s probably of vodka tonics, excuse me, just by himself. 
That's like a liter and a half of vodka yeah. that he drank. There was another time when him and Heenan were on a flight, and this is kind of the goofy side of Andre. They were sitting in first class together across the rows because mm-hmm. Andre had two to himself, and then Heenan was over on the other side. He goes, Bobby, do you like vodka? Bobby's like, yeah, man. We travel all the time. You know I like vodka. He goes, do you like apple juice? Heenan's like, yeah, not together. And he goes, I wonder if they could do that. So the flight attendant, yeah, flight attendant comes up and he goes, can I get a vodka and apple juice for me and for Bobby? She goes, all right. That's a weird request. Never had that before. Let's see what happens. And Heenan said that as he drank it, it was the worst mix of alcohol and juice ever. Mm -hmm. But since Andre created it and Andre thought of it, Andre's like, this is pretty good. He continued on like a three-hour flight to drink the entire airplane out of vodka with the mini bottles. When they landed, there was no vodka left on the plane because Andre drank And that was at a time when airlines were like all about the booze. Yeah. 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 I, I don't remember how many it was, but it was a shocking amount. So they leave that day or they get into New York. They're standing outside on the street corner to hail a cab and... Andre starts to feel the backup of the apple juice and vodka mixing in his stomach after all is this apple, time. Apple juice is a diuretic, isn't it? Uh, it's Yeah, it's not good, and I know that vodka with it would just, it sounds awful. It's going to speed the process. Yeah. He even said that it was a two-lane road. There was going the same direction, mm-hmm. so I guess one way, two lanes. Yeah. Andre grabs for his stomach and projectile vomits all the way across both lanes of travel. And this is, again, a wrestler telling a story. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to imagine it's ratcheted up completely. Heenan said that cars stopped in the road as they were splashed with Andre's throw-up of the food that they ate, the vodka and the apple juice. And he says that Andre looks down and he goes, I got some on my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what he was yeah. worried about. <laughs> He's like, I'm not worried about the traffic that I just blanketed. Yeah. Uh, before WrestleMania three, it was alleged that Andre drank two fists of Crown Royal before he went out and wrestled Hogan. Two fists of Crown Royal is one human being before he went out and had a wrestling match. It was a really well-performed just wrestling match. Drinking it like iced tea. Yeah. And it was because his back hurt so much that that was all he could really do to medicate before a match. Um, his wine drinking was phenomenal. He would put down, they said they had seen him drink. It was something like 16 bottles of French wine in one sitting. He would have between 10 and 13 steaks some nights while they were out eating and lobster. And Andre didn't do that all the time, but being the showman and kind of the guy Mm -hmm. that puts on the show for people, he would really only do it like on occasion when all the boys would go out yeah. to eat. So it wasn't like a regular thing that mm-hmm. he would. But he could do it. Yeah, he, he could do it. And that was kind of the thing was it wasn't a, a constant thing. But when he wanted to strap on the feedback, he could do it. Um, I, the the beers stories, I mean, they're all so wild and you never really know where it lies. Um, some people said it was 113 beers at a time that he would drink in front of them. Some people said it was 158, but it was tons and tons of beer. And probably the most famous story that I think we can kind of wrap up on. Um, Andre drank 113 beers one night in the hotel bar 
And as he was going back to his room, he fell asleep in the lobby. He was such a big man that they realized that they couldn't move him. And if they could get near him and he was a slumbering, passed out giant and they woke him up, they really didn't want to take oh, their yeah, chances. He didn't know where he was or freaked out for even yeah, a split second. Yeah. He, he was snapping somebody's neck. Yeah. So they drug the grand piano case out of the back that they put the piano that was in the lobby to mm-hmm. move and put it over the top of Andre so nobody would realize that he was sleeping in the middle of the <laughs> lobby. <laughs> and they put uh, the... The cones what, or the tape yeah, or the, something. The ropes that they would put around it. They yeah. basically just cordoned it off and threw the p- or piano case over him, and he just slept in the lobby that entire night. <laughs> They're like, what is that? <laughs> it's best you don't ask. Don't don't get anywhere near it. Quiet voices. Quiet mm-hmm. voices in the lobby. But the guy, he was... Again, literally larger than life. He was just everything that he did, he always knew how to have fun with it. I think he's one of those like rare individuals where he can be looked upon just with like almost, you know, almost all fondness and everything. Just because, you know, there's not a lot of information about him in, in the negative light or anything like that. It's all just like about the memories he created and how many people remember him for for like what he did as an entertainer. Yeah, he was uh, the first induction. He was basically the reason why they created the WWE Hall of Fame now. There's a memorial uh, Royal Rumble Battle Royal that they have. It's the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's looked at very fondly and he's just uh, it's tough to see a picture of Andre and not smile. Yeah. He just he brought that to your face. Well, that's probably a good place to wrap it up. Yeah. I uh, again, thank you for listening to this. This is uh this was a pleasure for me. If this if this wasn't your cup of tea going into it or anything like that, hopefully you kind of understand a little more of the nuance of it. And so hopefully if we ever do future episodes or those coming up, you'll uh, tune into those too. Absolutely. All right, later, guys. Peace. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for another episode. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe and like button. Follow us. If you didn't like what you heard, still hit that anyway because we'll probably cover something in the future that you do like. Um, please follow us on our social media. Adam, hit him with it. Uh, our Instagram is historically high pod, historically high pod, and we are on Twitter at historically high. That's historically hi. All right. And if you guys want to send in any feedback, suggestions, hit us up on those two, or you can even do it on Gmail. It's historically high podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again. Peace.